And now, live from the studios of Freedom's Phoenix, Ernest Hancock. Believe me when I say we have a difficult time ahead of us. But if we are to be prepared for it, we must first shed our fear of it. I stand here without fear because I remember. I remember that I am here not because of the path that lies before me, but because of the path that lies behind me. I remember that for 100 years we have fought these machines. And after a century of war, I remember that which matters most. We are still here! Wow, that is a bad connection. Well, we'll go ahead and uh, Donna's calling Ian right now, making sure that we're going to be okay. It might be to do with we are also connected on Skype. We have a big bandwidth, but anyway, we got a great archive we're going to have you know, for you guys. Make sure you get a clean signal. This is what's going on. Today is Stephen Kinse- uh, Stephen Kinsella. From you know, I tell you what, we're going to let him introduce himself. I, I let me tell you what my experience with Stefan is. We had a uh, it was like four years ago that the issue of intellectual property came up. I remember he wrote an article. I saw it on Lou Rockwell or some or Mises or whatever it was, and it was just it. it, it ooh, we need to talk about that. And I know it got everybody up in arms. In fact. It was um, Scott Beezer from Big Head Press called in, and he was he's done a lot of our early uh, covers for our Easy, and done a lot of art for us over the years. And you know, uh, Scott Beezer's been a good friend for a long time, and uh, he lost his wife to cancer, and uh, and stepped right in. Athena started taking. He overlapped with Athena on you know eighteen year old at the time doing it helped her a little bit a couple of months and boom she's off and running what happened is i saw him at pork fest this last a oh, couple weeks ago and uh he's kind of evolved in his concept of intellectual property he was way more kind of old my 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 and he's kind of getting where yeah it's not really working out the way kind of you know and i know that stefan kinsella had a big impact on this whole entire idea of intellectual property. Can you take an idea and 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 make it forever and always yours? I mean, you know, you can't build it. I, I am of the opinion that intellectual property has stifled innovation. Way, I don't... A lot, of, a lot of reason why I don't have my Jetson car, intellectual property. I know other people would make the other argument. I don't see it. Now, I'm going to let Stefan Kinsella, for three hours, explain everything to us. Now, I may ask some questions. You know, we'll go through, you know, some of the style, try and play his devil's advocate. And because he's, uh, you know, on Skype and so on, we'll have the phone lines open. Let me go ahead and give that out, because I know this is maybe of interest to some. 
602-264-2800. Now, let's go ahead and there. Stefan, I got you there. I'm here, man. Okay. Now, what we're going to do today, this is going to be the end-all, be-all of freaking intellectual property. Now, I'll tell you one thing that's going on right now that we'll start off with is that I remember when you spoke at Libertopia a couple years ago, it may have been, and what happened was there was a gentleman that came up, and he was very concerned about his um, Bitcoin. And it was like, okay, well, is it intellectual property? Is it property? How is the government going to protect me and my Bitcoin? I am of the opinion that there has been cyber attacks targeted at the Texas Bitcoin Conference, Bitcoin in the Beltway, Pork Fat. These guys are going not just individuals or where they think they can make the most or whatever. They were surfing Wi, open Wi-Fis, getting in to people's phones and doing whatever, hacking, whatever. But, and it's ours now. Now, people weren't taking the right precautions and all that kind of stuff, but they were targeting the anarchist type, the ones that don't want intellectual property uh, involved in Bitcoin. They don't want the government regulation, They don't, but they've been targeting them, taking their big, oh, you want some government action now, don't you? You know, so I can see the PSYOP coming, and I'm going, there are other... Uh, Andreas Antonopoulos made a really good case in Texas and, you know, on the show and everything about how we can regulate ourselves and it's much better off or you just might as well be a bank, you know. So this is and I remember you and I were standing there at Libertopia. The guy's got 20 something thousand Bitcoin and he's worrying about who's going to protect his property. And I don't think he really wanted it, but he didn't see any alternative. So let's go ahead and define what intellectual property is for the discussion, what your position is, and go ahead and give an introduction to where you're from and all your bona fides, would you please? I'd be happy to. Yeah. So uh, I'm Stefan Kinsella. I'm a. I'm a patent attorney, actually, by trade. I practice that field of law, and I've been a libertarian writer and kind of scholar activist for a long time, at least 20, 25 years, um, affiliated with the Mises Institute. I founded Libertarian Papers, uh, sort of the successor journal to the Journal of Libertarian Studies in 2009, and I'm still the executive editor of that as a totally open source journal. Uh, it's at libertarianpapers.org. And... Um, so I, I I dabble in libertarian writing and theory, and I'm also a patent attorney on the side, and, and sort of a legal theorist and a legal a legal writer as well. Um, and I know Scott Beezer, by the way. Uh, I'm friends with him. He's moved to Houston fairly recently. He's a friend of mine. He's a good guy, and I have detected in him a, a slight movement towards my position uh, away from that of his friend J. Neil Shulman, who was at Libertopia when you and I met. And Shulman is one of the libertarian anarchist holdouts who still favor some sort of IP. Uh, but I've seen this phenomenon many, many, many times over the last 10 years. Uh, people, at first they're pro-IP, and then they think about it, and then they finally have to give up. And uh, they, they try to make exceptions at first, and they finally give up. So my my experience is the trend is towards um, libertarians becoming anti-IP. And then we can go into it. But I just want to say that uh, this show is an example of how the mainstream media is suppressing minority thoughts. I mean, you're only giving me three hours, Ernie. I mean, that's <laughs> – I know you're trying to just keep us down. You know, I tell you what happened is, um, you know, throughout the – I can see it as an evolution because one of the 
big influential individuals on my activism had a big impact on how we do what we do here in Arizona. Um, also, really good uh, friends of Scott Beezer is El Neil Smith. Now, El Neil yes. Smith, an author, I mean, he just, man, he, ooh, he's on it, you know? And I'm going, okay, and why? What we tried to do for this Freedom Summit that we had just this last uh, February was to have El Neil Smith debating Davi Barker on intellectual property. And El Neil made a very good point when he uh, declined the opportunity, saying that I'm not going to put up my you know, property or my up for, you know, anybody else discussion. This is my opinion. I made myself clear. It's mine and there's no discussing it, you know. He so I, I could understand his position, but um I I see that there's a as hardcore as I believe El Neil to be. I mean and but I don't think that he advocated for a government program. It was more like the recognition of the property, and then we could use anarchist libertarian means to you know, uh, defend it. But it's hard to do that in a culture that is shifting towards uh, you know, not. Okay? Yes. So yes. this yes. is the evolution. When we come back, we'll go to break here in about 40 seconds. And when we come back, we're going to get into the meat of what intellect, where it started, the history of it. And there's a bunch of ramifications as we go in to encryption and distributed Internet and infra- ones and zeros are free. When that happens, there's nothing. 3D printing. I mean, you know, it's, it's over, in yeah. my opinion. So, yeah, we can talk about all that. I'd be happy to. Um, uh, you, you know, Smith is one of my heroes, and I've admired him for a long time. And we did have a little debate about this issue. Um, hey, everyone, every, even Homer nods. You know, some people just have uh, issues that they're just not the best on. And I think this is one mistake he's made, and we can talk about that um, after the break. There's an evolution. There's an evolution to come in, and I can see what's happening. It's a realization of, you know, all this protection that they're talking about. They're creating protected class, and then off, the government offers himself to be the, the arbiter. And it's always for their buddies, you know. We're going to talk about it, Stephen, Stephen Kinsella, when we come back. Did you agree? Did you totally agree? I'll bet that you did. But did you read the agreement? There are 7 billion people on Earth, and there are over 6 billion active cell phone accounts right now, and every one of them came with an agreement. Billions have already agreed to allow entities that they do not know to use and abuse every feature of their mobile devices. Your computer activity is monitored and archived. Your car is tracked, and even your face is scanned. The current power structure grows more fearful every day of your desire for anonymity, independence, free association, freedom of movement, freedom of expression, and your freedom of thought. And entire categories of humans will be targeted. And if they then those that won't leave us alone determine that we are not within their control, then we will be categorized as out of control. FreedomsPhoenix.com will launch the next phase of the Levolution by the end of the summer of 2014. And if you have to tell your neighbors about it, then we did it wrong. Then we did it wrong. Okay. What that's about, I got you there, Stefan? Yes, sir. Okay. What we're doing is um, we're going back to a newspaper that we used to publish. And the way we're doing it, I don't know if we talked to you about this or not, but um, uh, what we're going to be doing is creating a newspaper that's interactive like our easing uh, is, but it's going to create an InDesign and an editable PDF template 
that is uh, reprinting. People just take the file and go to their local printer and just print it, but they also get the ability to change everything. You know, the banner, the name of it, you know, take all the articles that we have in there, uh, use a bunch of them, take some of them out, add pages, make it localized, whatever. Because we, when we did the paper in the 90s, it was very effective, and a lot of the cultural shift that we had here in Arizona was due to that paper. And gotcha. What, and what happens is, the next stage of the revolution, I saw what was happening over the last couple of years when I go to these rural festivals and so on. Ooh, yay, yeah, we listen to you on Satellite and Roku and uh, Next News and, you know, Daily Paul Radio, on and on and on and on. And I'm going, wow, you know, I remember this, especially the Satellite thing and Roku this was the 90s with shortwave radio, all the programs and so on, you know, the Patriot, whatever it was. And I'm going, I remember this and the role that the paper played because right. we're being invaded county by county. It's small community by community. It's a five to 20,000 people community of we rule you. And it's the guy that, you know, the, the, the car dealership and the real estate guy and all his minions on the city council and the town manager and the whatever and the local police chief and they just in your ours and the people started to real as i talked about it all these activists around the country like you damn skippy okay so we're creating the infrastructure and the tool for them to take instead of putting lovelution signs all over on freeway overpasses they're doing lovelution newspapers and they're being right. able to localize it so we're taking away all the hurdles on it and having this as an activist thing, and we're near done putting it together. We're probably going to do the first publication, uh, will be by the end of this summer, but I'm going to try and get it in July, because it's exactly 10 years from our last print edition that we did in July of 04. Got so, it. So this is something I think you uh, a, a good... You know, 1,500 word or less article, but it's going to be interactive online, too, and has a lot of search terms and all this kind of... It's because rural America doesn't have the bandwidth. Yes, right. They need the prompting, you know, the highlights. If you can get an intellectual property article on that in the next couple of weeks, we can include it. Uh, that's possible. Uh, I'd be happy to look into it. All right, here we go. On any phone, anytime, 213-493-0309. That's 213-493-0309. Roads, it's the Ernest Hancock Show. Where we're going, there aren't any roads. Yeah, where we're going, there aren't any, I don't know, uh, permission slips. <laughs> you know, it's, that's really the concept, and that's what you know, the biggest infection that we can have on this entire revolution, evolution of thought. And I tell you, one of the things, well, if you don't have a government, you'll have, you know, fill in the blank happening, or you won't have fill in the blank not happening. I mean, it's just, and and, and we have Denise D'Souza on Thursday on his book and the movie America. Don and I went to the movies last night. We just wanted to chill. We went and saw, you know, uh, Seth MacFarlane and uh, uh, Charlie Theron, you know, because it's just because it's, uh, you know, Charlie's, you know, but uh, it's a million ways to die in the West. It was just fun. We just sit. But I remember that there were some uh, elderly women that came up and said, my grandson told me America was here. It's not here. And it wasn't playing there. So there's a, you know, but I, I'm wondering if that's that's the age bracket for it. 
you know, they're looking for the nostalgia of America. And we'll talk to Denise about it. I know him, you know, he's here in Phoenix a lot and kind of, you know, been the same meeting. We know each other. But the point is, is that I already know what this is about. This is it's this American exceptionalism thing. You know, it's from the right. They got to, you know, it's kind of like, you know, the Republicans answered a Fahrenheit, you know, uh, you know, 9-11 or something, you know, that uh, Moore did. And it's this idea that, the world is better off for America doing what America does. And I'm like, the world is better off from Americans because they can or used to be able to, or the whole structure was set up. You know, the answer is always yes. It was yes, you're free. Yes, go to yes. And we're going to adjudicate those that would deny you the yes. You know, so it's turned into a no. In our mind, it's like, no, it's always no. Where can I get permission to turn a no into a yes? You're already defaulted no. And intellectual property is a big, giant part of this, which is why Elon Musk, one, does not patent any of his rocket motor designs. He goes, why? You just steal them, you know, and I'm the only customer anyway. And heck, oh, and, and Tesla, all my electric vehicle stuff, and you know what? Ah, it's open. I give it away now. Here, you think you can do it better? Go do it. Here it is. Knock yourself out. You know, because it's not about intellectual property protection that way. It's about being smart, not an idiot. Okay? So I'm just, this intellectual property, let's go with the history of it. Let's go with the promise of it. Let's go with where it came from and why. And go ahead and help me out with that, Stefan, will you please? Well, I'll be happy to. So so let's, we have some time to go into this in detail. So let's go into it um, in a little bit of a, uh, let's start systematically. You asked me to define IP earlier. Um, and the reason this is important to talk about is because it's not just a, a fairly arcane area of law that no one pays attention to like it was, say, 30, 40 years ago. With the rise of the Internet and the increase in global commerce and 3D printing and torrenting and file sharing and all these things, um, the idea of copying and uh, using information that you learn from others – whether it be a movie or a song or a program or the way something is configured, uh, a device, uh, this has become a, a major issue. You know, 50 years ago, 30 years ago, the patent system, the copyright system hummed along in the background. The copyright system affected maybe a thousand publishers on the planet. So they were all kind of medium, large size corporations. No one noticed it except for the people that were specialized. Um, it was having pernicious effects even then, but people didn't notice it because it was in the background. Same thing with patents. Um, but nowadays, it's affecting er everyday people. I mean, the, the damages for copyright infringement are $75,000 per infringing act. It's it's just insane. People are being extradited from other countries. The Internet is being threatened to be regulated to stop piracy. Uh, so government uses copyright infringement as a uh, excuse to regulate the internet, right? So just like they use the threat of terrorism and child pornography and uh, you know gambling, uh, er er uh, digital money like Bitcoin, you know they will use whatever they can to regulate things. So I think we have to step back and realize that in our modern interconnected digital age, that. Information flow is extremely important to the survival of the human species, to freedom, to prosperity, to commerce. Um, the free market is important to all this. And the free market involves copying, emulation, and competition, which means you observe what people do and you copy them. 
sometimes better, sometimes worse, sometimes the same. This is what a free society is like. And so once you view it in that perspective, you'll see that intellectual property is a complete hindrance. Now, intellectual property is a term that we use, that the government uses, the law, the legal scholars use to describe roughly four areas of law, which are mostly statutory, primarily patent and copyright, but also trade secret and trademark law. Okay, They call them intellectual property for two reasons. Number one, they're intellectual because they have to do with products of the mind or the intellect uh, because there's something about the way you come up with a design for a logo for a company, which is a trademark issue, or you have a, a, a process which may be protected by trade secret, which you thought of with your mind, um, or copyright covers novels and you know paintings and movies and songs which you come up with the, your, your intellectual labor, and then patents cover inventions, which are also the fruit of intellectual labor. So the law groups these four different areas of, of legal protections together um, uh, because they have something in similar in common. And then the other reason, the second reason they're called intellectual property is because uh, these legal systems were under attack by free market economists, say, in the 1800s, um, especially patent and copyright, because they're, uh, they're obviously barriers to competition and they are monopolistic grants by the government. And so it, it, they were being attacked by free market economist types who said this is not compatible with freedom and free markets and uh, capitalism. And so uh, the, the response was to label these things as property rights because everyone has a good view of property rights. And so if you can get people to believe these things are property rights – then we don't have to call them monopoly privileges granted by the government. We can call them property rights. Okay, let's go ahead and stop right there, because I want to understand that very point, is that they become – it was just a PR campaign. It was to make it property, you know, intellectual property. They had to come yes. up with a concept of property, and I'm like – there's no pro- the real word of property, so they had to you know like put an adjective in there, you know, or you know it's kind of you know it's intellectual property, and I'm like, does it meet the definition of property? I mean, did they make it up, or it's just a you know a, a, like a Bernays thing or something? I mean, you know what? Uh, tell me how they made that and how long it took them to get it accepted in society? Because I'll bet you it didn't just you know take off right from the beginning. Right, so I think it, 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 you know, it is important to understand the history of how these things evolved. And if you have a rough idea of the purpose and nature of property rights in the libertarian sense, right, which is basically we live in a world of scarcity where conflicts are possible. Uh, we can bump into each other. We can try to both use the same thing at the same time. And if we want to live in harmony and peacefully with each other, the division of labor. We need rules that say who can use the given resource. This is the basic reason why we favor property rights in general. So okay, that's the when, background. When we come back, oh, there's more background. <laughs> I, I still got to make sure I understand this transition into the evolution of just the concept. You know, it's like all you got to do is wait 20 years. You get a new crop of you know school children that you just brainwashed. We'll figure it out. Stefan? Yes, sir. Okay, this is good. I want to, but there is a, uh, we got plenty of time. That's why I wanted to do this, mm-hmm, is mm-hmm. that um, names, names, dates, times, administrations, congressmen, what I yep. mean, the special interest 
of when this started. Yep. Yeah, because I can I can imagine what would happen. It was uh, uh, here comes the railroad. You know, mm-hmm. somebody's doing the steam engine of a cotton gin of we're you know industrialized and kind. That's my idea. Mine, mm-hmm. mine, 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 mine. And then it gets into oh, okay. Here's the rise of the patent troll lawyers. I can guarantee that happened. Then you got the mm-hmm. lobbyist in Washington D.C. doing the blah 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 blah. And it was all about how they could use the monopoly from the king to be able to grant whatever yada yada and once that yep. starts once you go down that road then you have the progressive era starting to come in and you once you go down that road forever will it freaking screw up everything okay yeah 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 i'll get into the the kind of brief history of the how this arose and this goes back to the 1600s starting so i think we can start there i'll go quickly over it but um it, it, it sets it in context. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to, and fortunately, we have enough time. We got another ten segments, so I, <laughs> you don't need to go that quick. I don't mind okay. skimming. I don't okay. want to, you know, beat dead horses. But you know, I, I do want to get over the, you know, the buggy whip era. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, that's so, fine. So we'll take our time. We'll do that, and then I, I think I'll go into how this integrates and relates to all of justice and property rights in the entire libertarian framework. Please. See, my okay. th- the reason I wanted to do this and have the reason I wanted to take so long, spend the day on this, is for exactly this kind of lesson. I want this to be the show that's going to. Okay, I understand. That doesn't matter, necessarily mean they agree. That's not the point. You know, my point is that they understand the psyop. This was a psyop, and we get go through the same stuff. It's what's happening with Bitcoin. The Bitcoin, the concept of they're going to try and beat into us that you know it's not. It either is your property. It's not your property. They don't really know how to couch it yet. They don't know what role they have. That that concept of just you can't regulate it's like um i came back from um uh pork fest with four 3d printed ar 30 round magazines okay and you know the uh, uh gun magazines for the ar mm-hmm. and i and i'm like oh this is the coolest thing ever and they had our logo you know safe second amendments for everyone logo thing that we do and Cody Wilson made that file. Well, somebody printed it, you know, and gave me for, or I purchased like last year and forgot about it, and they gave them to me. Well, I go through Logan Airport. I forgot it was in my backpack. Oh, that was a conversation. <laughs> so eventually I got it. But but the point is, is that I'm going, this trumps everything in intellectual property. The 3D printing, this concept has to be challenged now or we'll have an, an, the ability to just print anything that we want will go away. Yeah, it shows It shows that you have to make a choice. You have to make a stand as a libertarian. Right. And then, Do you and, really favor property rights or this IP idea? Yeah. You can't have both. Then, but we need to get the history of how they psyoped us into this to yep. begin with. So well, please let's do it. Take let's, your, go into, let's go into ancient history yeah, and then Take your time. History. All right, here we go. It's time for Declare Your Independence with Ernest Hancock. To be a part of the show, call 602-264-2800. Yay! We got a good signal. 
Okay. Now, this is what we're, we're talking off air, and this is my main thing, why I wanted to do three hours. I knew it was going to go three hours, because we are right in the middle of another, another. If we look back 100 years from now, we're going to see it was, uh, you know, about this time, you know, it's it, it's 2010 to, you know, uh, 2020 round when it was decided how we were going to deal with intellectual property. It was decided how we are going to deal with cyber currency. It was decided, you know, what we can and can't manufacture ourselves on our freaking desktop, you know, and print anything we want in metal, okay? It was decided that a 12-year-old can imagine a solution. I mean, can you imagine when you were 12, 13, teenager, everything that you wanted, you know, was in your head and you could do it better and this guy sucks and I got an idea and I pushed a button in print and I learned CAD, okay? You know, computer-aided design, you put it, whatever's in your mind, goes out on the table. And it reminds me of a Star Trek Next Generation episode to where he goes, wow, I made this beautiful dolphin thing, art, whatever the heck. And he goes, yeah, it was always in you. You just need technology to be able to bring it out. It's coming. But who wants to stop it? I don't know. Somebody, for some reason, King granted monopoly of you're not allowed. The answer is always no. And you need to ask our permission. Well, what happens with devices and technology? There's no permission. I don't even care if you claim it. I just pushed a button anyway. How are you going to stop a 12-year-old? You got to beat him at six? I mean, and that's what's happened in the mandatory youth indoctrination camps. It's indoctrination. And when did this start? And why? And from what? Well, who do we ask? Stefan Kinsella. He's going to hip us out. So we're going to go from, take the time, go from the beginning. The beginning, this King Granite Monopoly thing. All right, man, Stefan, go, man. Yeah, so uh, as I mentioned, it's come to the point ever since the Internet's arisen, right, where IP is such an important idea that we need to focus our attention on now. It's, I, I would say it's one of the top five or six most evil things the government does. It could be even higher than that because it's so insidious and pernicious because people think it's a type of property right. You know, most libertarians know that taxes are aggression. It's there, but it's aggression. They know that public schooling or government schooling is aggression. But IP flies under the under the banner of property rights, and so it confuses a lot of people. So in a way, it's the most insidious and the worst thing, and it's becoming more and more important. So it's really important to understand its relationship to justice and rights. And so to do that, we need to understand the history. So let's just go back a little bit in time. Um, in the ancient in the ancient eras, it's no surprise that the, the the emperors, the kings, the leaders would want to control both thought and official thought and religion, and they would also want to grant favors to their cronies. Right, so that leads to protectionism and mercantilism in the latter case, which is like the king saying, "You're the only guy who can have a playing card monopoly in in this town. You're the only guy who can export sheepskin in this town." You know, it's just the grant of monopolies. This is the height of mercantilism and protectionism. Um, it's not free market oriented. It's basically protect uh, consumer. Uh, it's, it's basically protectionism of, of industries. And then in the field of, of thought, the church and the state combined to regulate thought. They didn't want ideas being spread that they didn't want. Uh, that they, they had not approved. You know, think of the example of Galileo. The advent of the printing press really upset the uh, official proponents of what was a received doctrine okay and so back in the 16 15 16 1700s you had protectionism mercantilism thought control 
by the government and by the church combined. Thought control, thought control, thought control. I mean, that's what it all comes down. There's no doubt about it. And these things are – every libertarian would recognize these things are totally antithetical to any any libertarian principle. So this led in 1623 to something in England called the Statute of Monopolies. This is what they called it. They uh, The parliament had sensed that the king was granting too many uh, protectionist monopolies to his cronies, and they, they reigned back on it with, with an act called the Statute of Monopolies, and they said, we're going to eliminate this power of the king, except we're going to let you keep doing it in the case of inventions. So this is the origin of patents. The origin of patents is the literally called the Statute of Monopolies in 1623 in England. So patents Now before that, it was what? I mean, they called it what? It just the king said? I mean, you know, so what they did is they wanted to codify it in some kind of law or something? I mean, what well, was it before? So, sometimes they were called the, a patent or a letters patent. The word patent means open. And so the word patent is sometimes used, uh, like, for example, when, um, uh, when, when the monarch false. would it's patent, grant... It's patently false. You know, so it's openly false. Is that what they're saying? Yes, but, but patent also meant like it was, a, it was a, like a letter you would give a guy and you would say, take this to the new world. And this is an open letter from the king saying you have the only authority to trade tea in America or something like that. So these were basically grants of monopoly. In fact... I think Sir Francis Drake, one of the first um, privateers, they call him, but he's actually a pirate, was granted the authority under a letter patent by the king to raid other ships. So basically, one of the first real pirates was authorized by patent or IP law, which is ironic because nowadays people that copy things freely are called pirates. So it's like a complete switcheroo. They were more honest in the old days. But the point is that patents originated in mercantilistic protectionism uh, and it has evolved into what we have today. Copyright emerged, um, arose from the desire of the church and the state to prevent the spread of ideas um, after the printing press arose. So they had this stationer's company and that that finally culminated in the Statute of Anne in England in 1710. So 1623, Statute of Monopolies for Patents, 1710, the Statute of Anne uh, which entrenched copyright, okay, which was basically the remnant of the ability of the church and the state to control thought. So this is a censorship tool, a thought control tool, and um, okay, uh, the, the patent system this, is, is, is a protectionist tool. Okay, why did they call it the statue of, statute of Anne? What does that mean? Oh, it was Queen Anne. Queen Anne was the queen at the okay, time. Okay, so 1710, you know, the, the queen... They use her name and the spirit, and the queen says, you know, that yes. we're going to what? What was different in 1710 from 1623? So what was happening was there there, there had been about 150 years before there had been um, a monopoly granted to the stationer's company by the crown in England, which said they're the only ones who can um, um, uh, print books, okay? And they have to get the, the church or the government's permission to print these books. So they had sort of a chokehold. Like the publishing industry had in the U.S. until the until recently, they had they had the control over which books could be published. But when when the when the uh, monopoly on the stationers' company expired in the early 1700s, um, they had to decide what to do. 
And so, uh, okay, wait, 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 wait. That's another thing. There was an expiration to something, and then they had to re up it and made it work. So there was an expiration of what? I'm shocked right. they put a sunset clause in anything back then. So uh, I'm surprised too. Yeah, I wish we had sunset clauses in every legislation now. But so, so the stationers company had a sunset clause. It lasted a hundred or so years, and when it was going to expire. And it had benefited the publishing companies because it gave them a sort of a middleman stranglehold on the whole industry, right? They were the gatekeepers, uh, which is what we have now in the remnants of this in the publishing industry, right? Um, in, the, in the music industry, Hollywood, and in the book publishing industry. Uh, it's, it's crumbling now because of the internet, but basically that that is why we had this middleman uh, gatekeeper role established. So when the monopoly expired – there was agitation on, uh, by the special interests behind the publishing guild to reestablish their monopoly. But at the time, the authors started uh, piping up and saying, wait a minute, I want to have the freedom to publish my book as I see fit. I don't want to have to get permission of a publisher to publish my book. And so the parliament granted the copyright to the authors in the Statute of Anne. So that's how the copyright system got established. It was a shift on paper from the publishing industry to the authors. However, in 1710, if you're an author, you still have to go to a publishing company to publish, and so the publishing company just sees the same power back by contractually. So it really didn't make a difference. Okay, this is good, 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 good history, and we start to get an understanding. You know, this was always about they, them, those won't leave us alone. You know, and this, this quest for an authority pie to eliminate competition. It's changing. Stefan Gonzalo. Yeah, yeah, I'm back. I'm back. I just had a, a Wi-Fi glitch. I'm okay. All right. Hold on. No, it's the, the network is having, you know, we since we came back from vacation, it's been rough. How are you doing, man? I'm doing good. We had a good vacation. We met a lot of interesting people. And Where'd you go? Well, we went to Pork Fest for a week, and then we went to um, did the show there, and uh, it's always interesting talking to people there. And then we um, went to um, Washington State with some friends that have a lot of interesting friends, you know. So it's a week of you know, damn, you know. And uh, so it was. I mean, these are you know they got their own jets kind of people, but you know it's was very very interesting to get their perspective on what they see as important, what's kind of what they're changing, what they're spending their time on, what they, you know, it's amazing. You'll be a filthy, stinking rich, and you move to a condo on the beach in Panama with 1,200 square feet and a bunch of your friends, and you're good. You know what I mean? Right. I mean, it's just, right. and you you see this. You know the kind of people I'm talking about, you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And they're really making this shift, and it's just... But they're willing that they're, they're okay. If you, somebody wants to be on the front line journey, you know, peace out, man. Go, you know, entertain us. <laughs> you know, so it's uh, that's why we're doing this. See, I I see it, it's a cultural battle. Everybody's so worried about legislation or which administration or all that. That has nothing to do with it. It's all this kind of stuff. You know, it's right. how twelve year olds see the government. You know, I, I, I can see it coming, and um, that's one thing I want to talk about. We'll get back to where we left off, but um, that's one comment I want to make. Here we go. Hold on. Those via their websites and become an amplifier at amp.lrn.fm. That's amp.lrn.fm. Freedom is the answer. What's the question? I want to break free. 
You're listening to Ernest Hancock. I want to break free. Lies, 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 lies. I want to break free from your lies. Okay, this is what um, I, I, we got to see. You know, I want to ask this. You know, from uh, Stefan. I told him I want to ask him a question when we came back, and th- and this is it. Can you, you know, having ha- come to now, you were a patent attorney or are or whatever, but did you have this opinion when you started? And have you changed? And do you see the evolution around you changing? I mean, it's inevitable if you're looking at, especially you're coming from Mises, you know, and you're saying, ah, this government thing's pretty bad. You know, you have to cast off all this legitimacy that they claim, well, without us, who would defend patents? You know, as if I think it needs defending. So this is, you know, what was your history? How did you, was it from study? Were you always this way? Did you always question? And, And the evolution of people around you. Go ahead and tell that story. Well, yeah, I'm a patent lawyer. I've been a patent lawyer since about 1993, so about 20, what, two, 21, 22 years now. And uh, I was a libertarian a good 10 years before that. And um, I had become increasingly radical, like a lot of us do, you know, more Rothbardian, more anarchist uh, in law school. And by the time I started practicing IP law, I was really seriously questioning the basis of, of patent and copyright law. Because I had been dissatisfied with Ayn Rand and other libertarians' uh, defenses of it. I, I knew there was something wrong with it. Because I was practicing it, I wanted to find uh, a, a, a better basis to justify it. Because I thought it was justified because they said it was. But the more I looked and the more I understood and the more I integrated my understanding of Austrian economics and human action and radicalism and the state, crit- criticism of the state, I finally realized that the reason I was struggling to find a good justification for it was because there was none. You know, it's like uh, a lot of these policies. You know, if you want to find a reason to ju- justify the drug war, you're going to finally give up because there's not a good one. Um, and so, ever since I started, basically around the same time as I got licensed to practice patent law in 1994, I was against IP. Um, so I've been against IP. Ever since then, but I will say that in the last 20 years, I've become even more against IP. At first, I thought maybe there's a role for trademark because that has something to do with fraud. And I, th- I thought, well, maybe maybe it shouldn't be illegal to copy someone, but there should be a moral prohibition against it. But the more I understand about how open information works and how the Internet works and how we get along with each other and the role of competition – I've come to the view that there is really nothing whatsoever morally wrong, ethically wrong, uh, socially wrong, or legally wrong with copying and emulating other people. If someone wants to let information get into the public somehow by acting, by selling a product, by advertising, whatever, then there is nothing wrong with others noticing that, learning from it. This is the process of civilization. In fact, I think it's a good thing. So I've seen in my own case and I've seen in the case of libertarianism a strong movement towards recognizing that we need to have freedom of ideas, freedom of competition, freedom of action, freedom to learn, freedom to compete. And no one should have a government or a legally protected right to keep getting an income stream. They, they figured out one time in 1997, so they're entitled to that forever. You know, if you, if you start making a profit in a business – you know, if you if you're the first guy to open a pizza joint in a town, you know that no one thought a pizza joint would make it in, and you make a lot of money. 
you know, you might make a lot of money for the first one or two or three years, but then other people are going to notice because you send price signals out. You send signals out just by being in public, and people will compete with you. You might not like it, but that's the free market. That's freedom, and that's a good thing. Not for the guy that wants this monopoly, you know? This, this, exactly, well, exactly. This is, you know, I, I can, I'll give you a good, a good example. <clears throat> you have the uh, sayings, okay? Imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. Do you know the epistemology of that? I mean, you know, where, where, where did that come from? Imitation is the sincerest form of flattery? Yeah, see, I, that's I suppose like a, it, yeah, I don't, I don't know exactly where it came from, but it means that someone is endorsing what you've been doing. They're, they're, they're validating or recognizing that what you've done is valuable. No, I understand. It just seems to me it's like a campaign slogan. It's like, uh, you know, uh, Bernays wanting to get rid of, uh, you know, bacon as a waste product or, or you know, it's like bacon and eggs, bacon and eggs. It just became bacon and eggs. And then you have, you know, like uh, buffalo wings. You know, it's just, you know, you, you put this as a waste product and they just kind of made it part of our, our culture. And I'm going, the same thing as something like, I'm wondering if imitation is the sincerest form of flattery was a counter to intellectual property concept. You see my point? Oh, yeah. I think, I, think it may be, I think maybe it could have been because otherwise people would be insulted that you were stealing their, their ideas. Right. Um, it's a bumper sticker that's going to solve this. I'm just trying to come up. I'm, I wanted to come up with it. <laughs> well, Nina Paley, one of, my, uh, one of my friends who's a kind of left quasi-libertarian uh, uh, thinker and artist who is totally against IP, um, she has this slogan, copying is love. You know, copying is an act of love. And in a way, that's true. You know, um, uh, if you're competing for someone for a dry cleaning business or for, your, for a new semiconductor fabrication plant, you might not think that. But it really is, in a sense, uh, this is part of what the human experience um, is about. I, I just think we need to focus um, as libertarians on freedom. Um one thing we can maybe talk about quickly, we talked about the, the older history, but you can see that this the predominant state of affairs in 1789, when the U.S. formed our country under the Constitution, was the background was the Statute of Anne and the Statute of Monopolies, which had entrenched patent rights and copyrights in, in legislation in England. And that led to the introduction of the Patent and Copyright Clause in the Constitution in 1789. And then the next year, as soon as the Constitution was ratified, the Congress enacted the first copyright and patent statutes. Okay, now okay, who is so that the benefit? The origin of it. That was for you know these publishers out of England. I mean, it seems like there was it, it, by the time between the uh, Declaration and the Revolutionary War, and we had Articles of Confederation. It was like, yeah, this Articles of Confederation, man, the slaves are not on the plantation enough. Okay, so the Constitution seemed like a just they created the new plantation. Well, so the, um, the the copyright law originally did not protect foreign authors. So you can see already a nationalist sort of localist protectionist. It, it protected local authors, but not foreign authors. This is why, like Charles Dickens uh, and Tolkien, uh, their novels were not protected by copyright in the U.S. originally until recent copyright conventions and treaties uh, changed that uh, in, in the in the modern era. Um, so copyright was very limited. It did not protect derivative works. It, it did not protect uh, uh, musical compositions. It only protected basically American authors. And then the patent system, the, the strange thing about it was Thomas Jefferson was the first patent commissioner 
And Thomas Jefferson was one of the most eloquent opponents of the entire idea of having a patent system. He has this great quote where he says that, you know, if, 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 if you light your candle, he called that a taper, if you light your candle for mine, now we both have the flame. So if, if, if you light your candle for mine, you didn't take anything from me because awesome. I still have the flame. Awesome. And he said that's what, is, that's what the spread of ideas is like. So he was against this idea of IP. At least he didn't believe it was a natural right. And in fact, none of the founders believed that IP was a natural right. They just put it in there because they were used to the system from Britain, and they thought maybe the government could use this as a policy tool to encourage innovation in a growing industrial new nation. But they never regarded it as a natural right. In fact, the Constitution specifically says that Congress has the power to grant authors and inventors um, these monopoly rights for limited times. Okay, so, now that's another thing. The, the limits keep changing. We're going in to the end of the hour here. Let's go ahead and you know pick it up there when we come back. I want to make sure we timestamp this and we remember what we're going to come back with. I'm going to make a note. It's like because what the segue is is going to be. The China, China's version of intellectual property and the criticism that we give them, they don't have, you know, and they're not freedom-oriented enough because they don't enslave uh, people to the idea of what they can and can't do enough or something. I mean, it's just so, you know, it's so inconsistent. And when we look into the Constitutional Convention, and you know, when you say they, I guarantee freaking tea, most of the guys didn't give a rip one way or the other. There was somebody... There was one guy, somebody was getting marching orders from Hamilton and his, you know, the, the English banking buddy, some, somebody was sitting there advocating, well, you got to have in the Constitution something to do with intellectual property. You got to have the grant, the authority, the power to grant monopoly on ideas. Well, here's Jefferson going, hey, man, you like my, I, your candle for my candle, we both got light. You know, and I'm, that is a beautiful concept. And I'm wondering, how is that why they waited till he was in France? I don't know. They will find out. You know, if I got to do some surfing here during the break, I'll do that very thing to find out who was the IPSOB in the Constitutional Convention. They will find out something. Stefan Kinsella. We'll be right back. That is a very interesting question. I'm going to, is there, uh, do you know anything more than that? Well, I do. The history is, the history is, uh, is not, not quite clear. Um, there are all kinds of proposals to change uh, uh, the, that clause in the Constitution. Um, ultimately, I think it doesn't matter too much. I mean, look, and we can talk about this if you want on the air. Please. The, the guys that wrote the Constitution were the smartest guys in the country. So who are going to be the inventors and who are going to be the authors who could profit from patent and copyright law? It's going to be the founders, right? Yeah, I mean, no, I mean, I get the right what's going to be what. I, I can already see the self-interest of somebody with some resources, and we're going to make sure you know we all benefit, but for the good of the people because we love people, but you know, we love ourselves probably a little bit more than the people. I mean, you know, so I can – I can I can see this as you get more and more history as you start reading as you actually I tell you Stefan this is what really had a big impact on me I'm like uh, 27 28 I'm starting to becoming you know really you know okay what the hell is going on it's 1988 I'm starting to get involved in the because my father manufactured uh, you know um, a, a camping trailer for motorcycles and they wanted to ship it into Europe and I'm looking for you know the trade uh, duties for which country to ship Blah, 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 blah. And I started coming across, and I'm like, oh, wait, what the heck? 
and I go and I started reading uh, some history and Jefferson and the founder. I'm like, what was their really their concept? And then I could see that there was this battle. It was Jefferson versus like everybody. Okay, and I'm going. Okay, I don't want to read anymore. I want to live it myself. I want to, I'm going to set this aside. Let's go to the documents. Let's go in and just see. So for the first time, I sat down and I read the U.S. Constitution. I did not like it. I mean, if you read it without the Bill of Rights and without the Declaration of Independence, it's all about the power, the power, the power, the power, and we rule you. And I go, mm-hmm. I go, holy crap. This has nothing to do with freedom. It was all mm-hmm. about how they're going to control everything. Mm-hmm. So as you look and then you start finding out a little bit more history, and I'm going, if I had the power to tax and the power to wage war and the power to regulate commerce and the power eminent domain, if I go, hell, what the hell else would a king want? I mean, you know, this is, it was not about freeing us. It was enslaving us. So I'm going, who had this impact? And I was disappointed until I, I found out that they did this while Jefferson's in France. Well, of course, right, right, you know, right, right. So, so I'm going, this is there's something else insidious that was going on at the time. Then when they create it, what's the first thing they do? They force Rhode Island into it. And, yep. you know, they uh, um, have all of this debt, you know, that's you know, paid off by the Bank of England. You know what I'm going? And then, of course, they bought all the Continentals up. I mean, this whole thing, I'm going, ew, there is something foundationally wrong. And it came from the old world, and they put it in that document. They weren't supposed to be even doing this. It's weights and measure, you know, kind of changing on the Articles of Confederation. Then we get this thing. And I'm going, there was something else. There was somebody in there. I mean, you can blame Hamilton for probably about everything. But these guys were sitting there. And I remember delegations left, and they come back, and they, you know, and they're just like, no, we, we I, you know, I was it Patrick Henry? I smell a rat. I mean, you know, this whole thing from after a lifetime up to that time of indoctrination in the mandatory youth indoctrination camps, they did not tell me all this stuff that we're finding out. And with the Internet, these young kids... They are getting it from, you know, everything. The show, you, all the, I mean, all of a sudden they're reading Mises. I go to these different uh, festivals and events, and they got, you know, Mises downloading on their Kindles, you know? Right, right, So I, right. I'm going, you're not, they're not going to win this cultural war over time. So I can see force coming. It's going to be some big giant, I always say, St. Louis Arch, Golden Gate Bridge, toast. I mean, they have to have some big, you know, made you look, uh, you know, national kind of, and I got D'Souza coming on Thursday, and I know him. I know what this is about. This I don't even have to look at the movie. I may go watch it, just you know, prepare. But I, you know, I already know what this is. This is pushing to this American exceptionalism. If you didn't have America, then you wouldn't have America. You know, and I'm going. No, what made all this stuff was Americans. Okay, that's the, the concept of freedom. It wasn't. You know, it was in spite of this thing, not because right. of it. Right. Right. Well, you so, still there? Yeah. No, I'm just. I, I'm. I, I'm. Thank you for letting me express myself. But that's why, you know, I wanted to do this show because I can see now. Is it? You know what we're at now? We're in the counter constitution era right now because the constitution was this in this this manacle around our mind and it was ingrained in the constitution with this intellectual property grant of permission thing and i'm going that right there is the most dangerous superstition aka larkin rose <laughs> well I, I i i uh i i it might take us too far afield but i kind of agree with you i think that we ought to re-examine 
not only the Constitution, but the Declaration and the, the Revolutionary War. I mean, we need to stop lionizing these guys and assuming they were libertarian, proto, you know, proto-libertarians. I mean, I, they were not. Um, there were strands strands of it we can we can appreciate, but we've got to stop thinking of America as a template for an American or for, for a libertarian country. It's not. Um, we've got we got to oppose a state tooth and branch, you know, uh, tooth and nail, root and branch. I, I the concept of the state. See, the, even the idea. Let's put the state in charge of you know uh, protecting our individual rights. Well, that was the first mistake right there. You know, so I'm I intellectual property. It, it it's such a good concept to discuss to have the you know the flesh this stuff out and i'm looking at the uh constitutional convention i think it's what we're gonna you know come back with is this who what was inside that and the fact that jefferson wasn't included tells you a whole bunch right there you know what i mean yep absolutely well let's go ahead and when we come back we'll be back in like a minute let's go ahead and come back with that now, keep in mind, all the break stuff, as Donna, I'm sure, told you, it's all recorded for the archive and that kind of and whatever. And, you know, most of this will be in, certainly in the video because I can't edit that. But, you know, but I think that's part of the show. You know, this is that's the, fine. the good that's stuff. Fine. But the thing is, is that the Constitution, you know, this, uh, like you're saying, this adulation of the founders is some kind of, you know, my friend, he always in the nineties, he'd go, ah, the founding fornicators. And he didn't say fornicators, you know, and he was just, you know, hammering on that. And I go, wow, man, that's pretty rough, you know, but he did that on purpose because he understood a lot of this more. He's the first anarchist I ever met. And man, it was hard to argue with him because he always had a, you know, history on his side. So let's go ahead and go back to the history and the Constitution, because we have 1623, 1710, and between 1710 and uh, 87, let's go ahead, 89, where it was, let's go ahead and, um, you know, discuss the the mindset then, what was common practice, what was, you know, the common man, because a lot of, of this, you know, I, I, who represented the common man? I mean, was this, you know, Thomas Paine's common sense? It's, let's do, Let's go there. Let's start off with uh, common sense, because I'm looking for what the masses were thinking. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Okay, we'll kind of start there. Here we go. Live from the studios of Freedom's Phoenix, Ernest Hancock. Believe me when I say we have a difficult time ahead of us. But if we are to be prepared for it, we must first shed our fear of it. I stand here without fear because I remember. I remember that I am here not because of the path that lies before me, but because of the path that lies behind me. I remember that for 100 years we have fought these machines. And after a century of war, I remember that which matters most. We are still here! Here in Phoenix, Arizona, hey, from the BEAUT full studios of Freedoms of the Nest, Freedoms Phoenix, uh, dot com, Stephen Kinsella. 
Okay, this is what we get back. We're going to do all three hours a day. Stephan, I need to I have this understanding. This is what we learned in the first hour. A lot of stuff. 1623, we get the statute of monopolies. Now, what this was was a kind of a limitation on the king just granting they wanted to. Okay, okay. Now, the king, you get to do whatever you want, but in the confines of we described and kind of know, yeah, and protect us and we're publishers. You know, they got this, you know, printing press thing going on. Like, oh, heck no. They want to be able to limit what can and can't be said, and you're in violation of and you didn't get a permission slip. Well, that goes into 1710. You know, Statute of Anne kind of continues the concept and expands and, you know, restricts and kind of codifies, you know, whatever the heck they want to tell you how you can say whatever you want to say. Technology keeps creating more authority of how you use that technology. And the printing press was definitely some technology. Now, we go up from, I remember John Adams talking about uh, in his biography and so on, you, you, you see uh, this mind starting to go into where he's saying, you know, the revolution was in the minds of the people. God, you know, a decade, 20 years before. This is just a culmination of that and, you know, and our revolution against the man. And he's going, you know, this it's always in the mind. It's a culture thing first. Well, between 1710 and the Decla- I mean, uh, uh, and the Constitution, Declaration, I'm wondering what the mindset of the people, how they saw, was it even an issue? Hey, man, I got head down plow farming, but they have very high literacy rate. So what was the mind of the masses? Well, you have Thomas Paine in the, the pamphlet Common Sense. He's just like, hey, man, this is, you know, common sense. We all know this about that. Okay. Well, what was there this about that? Regarding intellectual property. And when they go into the Constitution itself, you know, and Jefferson's in France, you know, they're kind of, yeah, we don't need that, you know, man. He's gone! Let's do it now, 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 now. So this is, you know, an amazing perspective. And I want to ask Stefan, you know, can you fill in that blank? What was the common, you know, view of the role of government? I mean, were they supportive of it? They wanted it? Or did they feel left out and it was only for the elite? And then they codified it again in the Constitution? I mean, let's get a, a baseline of what the people were thinking, you know, from 1710 up to the Constitution. Help us out, will you, Stefan? Absolutely. I I don't think the common people had a clue about uh, patent and copyright law until then. They were just, you know, following the dictates of the government and the ruling classes. Um, But the people that were in control, you know, the elites, Thomas Jefferson, Madison, um, uh, you know, these guys, they, they were the ones that were familiar with the English history. Um, what, here's, here's what's interesting, and I, just, uh, I can send you a link to this. Uh, in 1789, when Jefferson, I think, was in France, he wrote a letter to Madison when they were trying to get the Bill of Rights nailed down. He said that you should have a, 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 a bill, a, one, a, an article in the Bill of Rights, and he, what it was said was um, monopolies, he called it monopolies, should be allowed for literature and for inventions – for a term not exceeding X years. So what he was trying to do was overturn the sort of open-ended nature of the copyright and patent clause in the 1789 Constitution. So Thomas Jefferson wanted to put into the Constitution and the Bill of Rights, he wanted to call patent and copyright a monopoly, because that's what it is, and he wanted to put an express limit on how long it could be. Now, this reminds me of the debates about the income tax amendment in the early 1900s, um, and from what I've heard, the original proposal was to authorize an income tax, but to put a cap on it at 10%. Um, and some of the senators 
debating the bill objected oh, to that. Oh, it'll never get 10%. You're crazy. Well, they, what they said was they're afraid if you say 10%. Well, they said, we know it's going to start out at 1% or whatever, but it would never be 10%. But if you put 10% in there as a maximum, then Congress is going to soon go up to that maximum. So we don't want to encourage them to go up to 10%. So we're not going to put a limit in there because that would sort of endorse the idea that 10% is legitimate. So they didn't put a limit in there, and of course now we have four higher than 10% income tax. Um, so if Jefferson had succeeded in getting a numerical limit in the original Bill of Rights – uh, for copyright and patent monopolies, first of all, they would have been recognized as monopolies because it was called monopolies, and we wouldn't have had this Mickey Mouse extension kind of stuff that's been going on. You know, the original copyright was 14 years extendable one time by a voluntary act, so up to 28 years, and then it's been extended over and over again over the last 200 years to to, to the point where now copyright can last up to 150 years or so. It's it's crazy. All of the behest of special interest. Mickey Mouse. Mickey Mouse is, is what people call it. I mean, Sonny Bono, the Sonny Bono Copyright Extension Act, right before he ran into a tree in, uh, in Colorado and killed himself, you know, he, uh, he got the copyright term, term extended. So, unfortunately, he hit the tree too late. No, it was um, Mickey Mouse. I mean, it was literally about, you know, Disney being able to, you know, claim copyright on Mickey Mouse that was, what, from the 30s or something, 20s? Yeah, Steamboat Willie. No one's been able to prove that. Disney was the one lobbying for it, but it seems pretty obvious if you look at the history. Um, but if you want to step back a little bit more theoretical, Ernie, um, or, or kind of look at the grand picture here. Please. Um, intellectual property, to get this issue straight, and honestly, a typical average mainstream libertarian did not need to have a strong view on this until 1995 when the internet arose. Now we do, and to do that requires you to kind of really take a hard look at our property concepts, our concepts of justice, and to figure out how the framework really coheres and works together. And this gets to the Bitcoin thing you were mentioning earlier. Once you do that, then you can start seeing pieces fit together. Um, if you understand the nature of property rights and the purpose of what, why we have rules to live together in peace and harmony, then if you figure out why IP is wrong and why we have to get rid of it, then it clarifies your thinking on so many other areas like contract law, the nature of fraud, all these plagiarism claims, um, uh, Bitcoin issues, uh, digital currency, digital property, things like that. I, to my mind, it's been a revelation. It's, it's opened my mind to having a fresh perspective on all these areas um, of disagreement. Okay, now this is, let me go ahead and make it even a little bit earlier. I want to make this comment, and you'll understand my perspective. <clears throat> I was in high school, I graduated in 79, okay, born in 61. I remember it was Friday nights, late Friday night or something, they called it album night, and it was a local radio station of whatever. Technology is what's changing this. What did we have? The ability to do reel-to-reel -reel or a cassette and record what was on the radio. They would come out and they'd say, okay, it's Friday night album up. We pick uh, Led Zeppelin for whatever the heck, okay? And they would, without commercial, play the entire album over a period of however long it took. And everybody, you know, it was an opportunity for everybody to record that album off the radio. So they play it, you record it. Ha, 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 I got that. Now, I remember the man, they were, ooh, it was going to be, there was a lot of pressure came down on. So they go to the radio station, and uh, I don't know what they could do. You know, don't play our album. I mean, I don't understand, but 
everybody knew, and then they called it something else to try and get around, but everybody knew what it was. This week, I'm going to record this particular album. Now, of course, the manufacturers of the devices were happy. You know, you need to go get a reel-to-reel, or you get the app, you know, whatever. But the thing is, is, I could see technology was making IP irrelevant. It was being broadcast over the airwaves, and people were recording it. This is 79, 1979, and, you know, MPAA and all the MP3s of downloads of albums of whatever, you know, they're going, ouch, ouch, and it was already in my generation's head in the 70s. And we're going to get updated. Stefan Kinsella. My name is Jacob Hornberger. I'm president of the Future of Freedom Foundation, which Congressman Ron Paul awarded for having an outstanding freedom website. Write us at FFF at FFF.org, and we'll send you a free three-month subscription to our monthly journal of libertarian essays and our booklet, Economic Liberty in the Constitution, which George Mason University economics professor Walter Williams praised in a recent column. That's FFF at FFF.org. Yeah, you, you, see, I'm, I'm of this mind already. I mean, I, could, I remember that going, going, oh, I don't know how they're going to stop this. And then once we started getting into digital and downloading, you know, I, I, could, I remember, like, you know, years before when that was going, I could already see a break in the dam. It was technology. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, it did, you know, that come up recording of music, I mean, that was... And then it's well it's for personal use or that, and they wanted. I remember the the um, the psyop that was started then. You're like, oh well, if you get caught, well, if you get caught with it, it was fear. They always use fear, mm-hmm. and technology now is getting to the point to where you know these kids. One, they don't care, you know, and two, they're like, if you can find it, but what do they do? Prosecute soccer mom for you know downloading you know uh, forty nine Lawrence Welk songs or something. Well, it's it's crazy. I mean, you, you play a movie. On your TV that you bought on DVD or iTunes, you actually paid money for it. And then the guy you bought it from sends a a big FBI warning saying, if you use this in the wrong way, you can be subject to 15 years in jail. I mean, that is not customer friendly. You know what I mean? It's crazy. (laughs) Well, this is, um, you know, I I give you an example. A friend of mine came over and uh, uh, she had a stack of DVDs. That I guess what happens is when they do the Oscars, they send to the uh, members of the Academy to vote on. They send them all these DVDs of new releases. And right. somebody copies them and send, all of a sudden, boom, now they're pirated on the whatever. And you get all these, you know, before they're, heck, they're not even out of the theaters yet, you know, and, and you got all these DVDs of these new movies. And I'm going, okay. You know, so I watch one, and it has, you know, do not duplicate and all this other threats of hell and damnation is just for Academy kind of. That's, so I wonder, I go, where do they get this stuff? Well, that's I'm sure they got other avenues, but that's one way they get these movies. That's from sending them, you know, you send them an assistant of a, you know, aide to the whatever rock star of a movie actor or something, takes this, and uh, they copy and boom, it's out there. All right? So I'm, I can see that... Um, you know how this stuff starts to get out there, but I don't know how you would control it. So they got to come up with something else. I guess it's just just fear. I mean, I, I don't know what else because technology is bypassing all this. 
No, no, I totally agree. So, um, so, oh, I know what it is. It's like space balls, yogurt. He goes, you know, it's where uh, merchandising, where the real money's made. You know, space balls, the flamethrower. I mean, you know, so, <laughs> I, I mean, I guess that's how they're going to make the money in the future. But it has to be a different model. I don't, I don't see this being sustainable. The only way to enforce it is it has to get really draconian and scary. Well, maybe we should talk at some point about the, uh, I mean, look, the 3D printing stuff. I mean, if you really are in favor of IP, you have to take a side against uh, 3D printing, let's say. Okay, let's and, go ahead and talk about that when we come back. All right, we're coming back. Here we go. Okay. Makes the perfect gift. Remember, that's gunsandweed.com. You can put the Liberty Radio Network on the air in your area. Visit broadcast.lrn.fm to learn how. Broadcast.lrn.fm To be a part of the show, call 602-264-2800. 602-264-2800. And now, Ernest Hancock. why we don't do YouTube. I did not want to be socially and economically engineered. We have to flip and Vimeo, and we're setting up our own servers to be able to do our own video, which means that we're going to have Liberty YouTube channel of, you know, Bite Me. And we go to the distributed internet. Every, all the server stuff that we're doing is in with the mindset of the answer is always yes! You know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm so sick of this social and economic engineering that we get all the time. And what we're trying to do is create an infrastructure with this in mind, the future in mind. That this is, you know, I, 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 I want to use classic rock and roll and make, you know, I could go through the trouble of changing the pitch a little bit and kind of, you would never even know it. Change, you know, kind of just a little bit. It doesn't match up to their automatic scrubbing of we got that C and there it is and you're not allowed and they start selling commercials or limiting the channel kind of, you know, bite me. I'm just like, no, I'm not going to, you know, go head to head with this con. I just go around over under, you know, I'm just, I'm not playing this game. So that's why we don't, you know, put all this stuff on YouTube because once it got took up by Google, I already knew where this goes, you know? So this is the, the where I, it, it's a cultural thing. Stefan Kinsella has been a big part of this movement, just the understanding. And, and, and what does he do? He's a patent attorney. You know, he's, he went through, he had his own evolution on this. You know, then what are we getting up to now? 3D printing. Cody Wilson, when he did the 3D gun thing, you know, why the gun? I mean, you big gun guy, gun, gun. What, what's the first thing we see of him in The Guardian, United Kingdom, front page? And what's he holding? Frederick Bastiat's the law in one hand, AK-47 in the other. And I go, oh, this boy gets it. So we had him. I said, I just need to keep you alive, man. He just keeps coming on the show and you know, keep updated and everybody knows what's up. Because, you know, like a dozen times we had him on, he goes and speaks at the summit. And what's he talking about? Two things. One, 3D gun printing. He wanted to demonstrate that they couldn't stop it. That's what the AR magazine was about. All this kind. Of, look, you can make all laws you want. When I have the ability to just print something on my desktop 
How are you going to penetrate into there? How are you going? Because I remember in the mid nineties in the Clinton administration and Janet Reno and, you know, the Politano, she was U.S. assistant attorney and all, you know, all the stuff that was going on. They wanted to be able to access every one and zero that came out of your email, your printer, your fax, everything. Why? This. They wanted to control. It was like controlling what's printed. It was control. The church and the state wanted to have control of your mind. So I'm going, okay. So then he goes to uh, uh, Dark Wallet. You know, mixing of, you know, the good transactions and the bad transactions to get tumbled in there. And he's like, look, I, I got to I gotta out these guys. What do they want to do? The government wants to determine what is good and what is bad Bitcoin transactions. You know, to do that, they got to grant like a Bitcoin license or an like This is all, he, it was all the same thing. So what's Cody Wilson's attorney on his gun thing? The same attorney that was Phil Zimmerman's attorney in the 90s on PGP when they were trying to, you know, uh, get him convicted for a munitions violation of exporting, you know, uh, cryptography, which was like, you know, uh, the F-15 or something. You know, see, all this comes together. Cody, real smart guy, way down the road, his whole concept was exposing what they're trying to do. And it is control of your mind and what you can do peer to peer. With other individuals, peaceful, open transactions of ones and zeros to do whatever you want. An amazing tactic. 3D gun printing, dark wallet. What did they have to do with each other? They were the same thing. So this 3D printing thing is really what's bringing a lot of this up, isn't it, Stefan? Absolutely. The 3D printing is probably one of the uh, the most exciting uh, advents uh, we have in the modern age. And, of course, it's been slowed down by patents, um, and it's being threatened by patents. Um, my hope is that just like torrenting allows pirates to get away with uh, – get away around copyright law, you know, I'm not officially encouraging someone to evade the, the statutory law that the government enforces because that could be dangerous, but do what you have to do. I certainly don't think it's immoral to evade statutory law uh, if you can get away with it. Uh, there's no moral duty to obey the government's law whatsoever. It's just a prudential matter, but I think people should be prudent. Um, in the case of 3D printing, it's the same thing. Um, we're going to have the ability of micro-manufacturing, localized manufacturing, increasingly sophisticated uh, production techniques that people can do on a community basis, on a regional basis, on an individual basis with little machines in their garages. And all they need to do is get a file which has a description of the way something is made. And according to classic IP theory and the IP libertarians, that would be a violation of someone's property rights. And if you have to choose as a solid, normal libertarian between uh, IP and property rights, you basically have to choose. Which which one are you going to choose? Should someone be free to use information to tell their printer how to make an object or not? And if you really believe in IP, you have to believe that if I download a file of bits from someone on the internet that tells me tells my computer, my computer 3D printer, how to make an object, that I'm violating someone's property rights by doing that. That's the consequence, which means I'm not free to use my property as I see fit. So that's the ultimate choice. So I think libertarians need to make a choice. Do they stand for property rights and free markets and freedom of information, freedom of sharing, or do they want to have a controlled society 
where information is controlled by gatekeepers and there's protectionism and there's limitations on innovation. And to my mind, there's no choice. So libertarians that are on the fence need to start making a choice. Okay, this is, I can see what's coming and see if you can agree with this or can modify my thought here. As we go through this grand monopoly from the king, as we go through the idea of anybody can you know print whatever, and you got Benjamin Franklin out there, I'm sure he was copying something to somebody's, you know, when he's doing this printing. I'm 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 looking at because of technology, as has happened in the past, there's going to be a change in how we have a. Um, a statute, a law, an understanding, the government is going to recognize that they don't have a choice anymore. And they're going to try and, and legitimize themselves and still maintain some kind of control. That's why I take a no-compromise anarchist position on a lot of things. And, you know, a lot of times, uh, some of the government that they have, I would never got off my couch and put down my beer and kept watching football, you know, if they just didn't piss me off on fill-in-the-blank reason. Well, they're going to try and maintain some kind of government legitimacy for something and ratchet down intellectual property to to something. They're going to go, and I'm wondering if there's a movement in Congress, there's a movement in the country to legitimize themselves. Okay, we're going to let you be this free, but we're still going to do whatever. When we come back, I want you know the news on that. You know, I'm, I'm, if anybody would know, Stefan would. And we're going to find out from Stefan Kinsella what's the next phase, what's the next you know statute of Anne that they may come up with, recognizing that the 3D printing of anything is coming. This is Donna Hancock with Brangus Realty in Arizona. Now more than ever, we have to seek out good investments to help secure our future. The real estate market across the country today seems to have recovered. Inventories are low, housing prices have gone up over the past year, and money is available to lend. But you must be careful to read between the lines of what the mainstream news is reporting. There is a shadow inventory, and the market is manipulated by a multiple number of factors. And we will need to anticipate this flux and prepare for the next market downturn in housing. There are many communities across the country today that have a growing mindset of preparing to ride out the financial storm. And Arizona is one of those places. If you are interested in moving to the desert southwest where we have three to four growing seasons a year and the sun is readily available for anything solar, I will be here to help you when that time comes. Feel free to use my webpage at DonnaHancock.com to search for Arizona properties that are of interest to you. And please feel free to call me at 602-828-1819 to discuss options for your move to Arizona. Okay, that's where we'll come back, is that, you know, I can feel that there's something coming. They're going to try and legitimize that uh, we still rule, rule you in some way. Do you have any kind of beat on that? Yeah, I think we can talk about the uh, just the Aereo case. I mean, that's the most recent Supreme Court case. Um, the which case? What is this? The Aereo case, where the Supreme Court ruled on a copyright basis that uh, this new business called Aereo could not allow you to record TV shows on their uh, remote antennas. Uh, it's, it's a huge case, but just like two weeks ago. Okay, that's excellent. We'll go ahead and go into that. See, this is what I, you know, I started to realize right up. I went to the uh, Consumer Electronics Show um, this last year. We we go like every year for like I don't know four or five years, and we do the press thing. 
and, and I go around and I'm I'm looking at the new stuff. A lot of the consumer electronics show is trying to sell the wholesalers, you know, some new whiz bang gadget that they already are in mass production. And I'm more interested in the new stuff. I want to go into the little bitty ten by ten of the you know MIT students of the we got this new flight controller of the two hundred uh, variable of the space station of and only costs three hundred dollars instead of three hundred thousand kind of thing. Okay, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so so I go in and I'm looking at all this stuff and I could see the rise of 3D printing. This last time they were showing metal 3D printer. Well, it's like Elon Musk. He goes in like Iron Man, 3D with the glasses moving the hand kind of doing I whiz bang and then tweaked up on the screen and kind of hit the print button and a titanium rocket engine part comes out. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm, I mean, this mm-hmm. is now. And they were doing 3D titanium or metal stainless steel 1911 45 caliber bang 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 right off of the printer stuff and i'm going this is amazing so i'm what i'm looking at is that they have to recognize this is coming and for them to try and control this i i don't know what they have to do other than try to legitimize themselves and and ratcheting down and get us a new statute and kind of thing I mean, in my opinion. I mean, I, I did, so help us out with that, okay? And we'll start with, I'll ask that question, and you can give us the the arrow case, would you? I got you, Stefan. Yeah, I'm here. Okay, 20 seconds. Here we go. What is this? Bureaucrats have a funny way of telling people no. That's the sound of the men working on the chain. Derek J's Victimless Crime Spree. Watch it for free and order the Director's Cut DVD at VictimlessCrimeSpree.com. You can connect with the Liberty Radio Network via our Facebook page at Facebook.LRN.FM. That's Facebook.LRN.FM. Roads? It's the Ernest Hancock Show. Where we're going, there aren't any roads. Oh, welcome back to Declare Your Independence with me, Ernest Hancock. You know, this is um, this is very interesting. I knew it was going to be an interesting show, okay? And this is the one thing that I want to bring up. You know, when I the 3D printing started getting going, I, and I tell you the first thing that came to mind. I mean, you know, one thing is that you know that uh, uh, you know the Kenmore repair man of the washing machine is going to come in. And it's always that one little plastic piece of crap part that whatever. You know, it's the back latch door on my Montero that you know I've replaced. I got two identical Monteros, and I've replaced probably three or four of those. It always breaks, and I'm going. I want to 3D print that some and getting more. Hell no, because it's like a hundred bucks. You know, I got, and this is the one thing that first came to my mind. On my Impala, the vents that you have in the air conditioning, one of the little vents thing, you know, broke or whatever, and I'm going, okay, I want to play 120 bucks, and it's, you know, in the dash to do it. I mean, it's like a couple hundred dollar thing for just a cosmetic of I don't care. You know, and I'm going, you know... There is going to be General Motors, Government Motors is not going to like this none too much. Is that I go on my 3D print, I go, yeah, boom, and a couple hours later I come back, there's the part, and I put it in, problem solved. You know, this is what we're talking about. And you multiply that kind of times, you know, hundreds of millions, you know, around the, the country of them just printing their own little knob of my radio kind of messed up and I can down and there it is. You know, I'm, I don't have to go get the knockoff. I don't have to get the aftermarket from Taiwan. I don't have to. I print it. And I'm going, this is changes everything. 
Well, there's some cases coming up that will address this kind of stuff. And the intellectual property behind all of this trying to control, or it's just going to eat into the manufacturing. And they see it. Our economy is going to suffer because they don't. No, the economy doesn't suffer. I keep the money. I'm the one that gets to do it. I'm the one that doesn't have to spend. I'm the one on something that costs five cents that has costing me $50. So I, this is going to change everything. Stefan, is there some cases? Is there something going on? I mean, are they recognizing it? What, what's happening out there? What congressman's coming up with a new statute? What law is being made that addresses these issues? Would you help us out? Well, uh, Congress is totally captured by the IP industry. I mean, the best congressmen just want to have a light reform of patent or copyright law, and they, they have almost no chance of getting it uh, enforced. So, um, but, but let's just notice one thing. Most of the proponents of intellectual property say that it's important for American innovation, right? Um, but let's just take three recent things I can mention that people have seen on the headlines or in the news or – uh, they, they may have noticed uh, three innovative cases which are all being threatened uh, by copyright. One is uh, Uber, you know, like Uber, Lyft, these taxi companies, incredibly innovative. And, of course, the, the government is cracking down on them. Um, the other would be 3D printing, which is going to be one of the most revolutionary things in human society and history, I believe. And, and of course, it's being threatened and strangled by copyright and patent law. Um Although hopefully they will escape from that because it won't be able, the government won't be able to stop it because thankfully the government is not omnipotent. And the other is um, I was just mentioning to you in the break uh, about two weeks ago the Supreme Court ruled in the Aereo decision. Aereo was a company which was trying to get around copyright restrictions, which are ridiculous, to allow people to record on-air television broadcasts. And record them in, an, in a cloud-based recording service and stream it live or recorded. And so what they have was these little quarter or dime-based antennas, one for each person, which is totally technologically ridiculous, but they were trying to comply with copyright law. And the Supreme Court struck it down and said it's infringing copyright law. So okay, basically, wait, wait, wait. The I, I, did, I didn't understand. I didn't understand the technology. What? So they're they're saying to they have clients or customers or it's a device or a service. So so ima- imagine that you could put a HD antenna on your roof of your house and you could connect it to a DVR. So you could receive broadcast shows from ABC, NBC, and you could record it on a DVR. You could watch it, and if you connected it to a sling box or whatever, you could watch it over the internet on your iPhone or on your computer remotely if you wanted to. That would be totally possible right now okay so this was a company that tried to exploit that idea they said listen instead of you having your own antenna we're going to rent you an antenna so we'll put a little quarter-sized antenna on our rooftop you can pay a monthly fee for that and then we'll give you cloud storage if you want to record it and they were trying to get around copyright law which which prohibits public uh public broadcasts of these things like the cable companies do without paying a license fee so their idea was you're basically extending the length of your antenna to the company headquarters, and you have a little rented antenna on their roof, and you have a little rented space in their DVR servers, and everything should be fine. And I think their argument was sound, and so did Scalia and the minority in the Supreme Court case. But the majority said, no, this looks too much like a cable company, so we're going to outlaw it. So this is another example of a completely innovative model 
And by the way, half the innovation was designed at getting around government copyright law. If the copyright law didn't exist, there would be no need for these millions of small antennas and separate files for each recording. But they were just trying to get around copyright law. So the so, technology, what they were you know, trying to get around and what was possible is that they would just record the broadcast over the government-regulated airwaves, okay, or now it's digital, whatever. They have a broadcast of uh, your favorite ABC show of fill-in-the-blank, and they would record it, and you would just access that when and how and whatever you wanted, kind of like a, a Hulu without paying the subscription to Hulu. You're doing it to these guys. Yeah, except they would record it. You would record it. You would actually go online to your account, and you would say, Here's here's the listing of TV shows that are going to be broadcast. I want to record Sherlock Holmes. I want to record this. No, I understand, so, but they, yeah. they did that to try and get around the copyright. You know, they yeah, they just, did. They did. Okay, so, so, so their thing is, is that it's my antenna that I rented on my roof that I'm recording from me onto the cloud that I'm going to uh, access my files that I rented from you over there. So they're doing all this, trying to provide a service, you know, when I could just record it myself on a D. It was just a service. They're trying to, you know, get away it, with this. It, exactly. So and that's the, the argument. Court. And I actually predicted they would win because of this, because the argument is so compelling. But, of course, six six of the justices felt otherwise. Um, probably, I, I don't know exactly why. But, uh, yeah, if you have the right to put an antenna up on your roof, which is a 100-foot antenna, and have your own DVR and record it, and the Sony decision in the 80s verified that. Why don't you have the right to have an antenna that's three miles away and rent space on a DVR that someone gives you in the cloud? I mean, this is the extension of technology into the Internet age. So this is just another example of how copyright law and the government and uh, uh, entrenched interest groups delay and, and inhibit and stop technology from developing. I mean, they slow things down. Yeah, I, I what it also sees demonstrates is the um the wet blanket on ideas that can be done a certain way and they're they spend millions of dollars in this entire infrastructure trying to comply with an idea of they get to even regulate. You see my point? I mean, that's where absolutely. You know, where now that's why I like the open source Linux hacker guys. They go, "Yeah, it's a $37 box and you can do whatever you want. Here it is." You know, and that concept is totally they bypass all this crap. Yeah, and the other problem is we have to understand what the nature of law and justice should be. Law is the concrete implementation or application of, of the, the intuitive ideas of justice that we all agree with, um, which is why it develops naturally in a common law or decentralized system like in the Roman law or in the common law in England – that's why we had these bodies of property law arise that are largely consistent with what you and I would agree are libertarian principles. But when law becomes the body of decreed legislation from a, from a legislature, statute, statutory law, then it has no connection anymore with natural rights, natural law, justice, nothing. So the court's job becomes to interpret the words of a statute enunciated by a bunch of bureaucrats, which has nothing to do with justice. Justice. Is that is that what government's for? <laughs> I mean, that's a promise. It's always a promise. We're going to have this government, because we're going to free you. Is that what happens? Not yet. More with Stephen Kinsella, Intellectual Property, when we come back.
Gotcha. Yep. Okay. The um, when we come back, I'm going to introduce um, the Uber crypto ride kind of concept into the discussion here. I want to make a comment on that, and you can take it from there. So give me a minute with that, okay? Sure. While our satellite channel is free to listen to, it's not free for us. You can help us cover our satellite costs with the chip in on the right side of the page at lrn.fm. It's time for Declare Your Independence with Ernest Hancock. Let me, let me go ahead and share this thought with you. We get uh, Stefan's uh, view on this. I, I, I prepped him that, you know, here it comes. All right. When I was at the Texas Bitcoin Conference, they had a little hacker fest thing going on there, a competition. They gave out $1.25 million to these five different programs. They're only going to do a million, and they had like five really good ideas. So, you know what? We can afford another one. This is a good idea. Well, there was a gentleman from uh, uh, Tel Aviv, I think it was, Israel, that he won a hacker thing there. His friends go to him at 7 o'clock at night and say, we got a ticket for you. We're going tomorrow. Get on the plane and pay an extra overnight. Kind of you're going, and here we're going. And then they won again, and this was the idea. That you would be able to get with a cyber, uh, te- I mean, I'm sorry, with crypto technology, you are able to book a ride with, you know, like a carpool, a taxi, a Uber, a sidecar, a Lyft, or whatever it was, that they would be able to, you would pay with Bitcoin, you would have, I need to go from here to here, who's, I, 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 I'd be going that way. You go in and boom, they get paid, it's, uh, you know, in, in Bitcoin, it's cryptographically, nobody knows, there's no bank account, of kind of, and it's done, okay? What's Uber going to say? When I went to New York Bitcoin Conference a couple of months ago, I'm there. I'm going. You know, this is being this is expensive, man. I, I, a 20 minute ride cost me 115 bucks. I mean, it wasn't even that long. I mean, it was you know 15 minutes from the airport to my brother in law's house. 115 bucks. I'm like, damn. Well, I, you know, I, can I pay 80? <laughs> and I think I got a bootleg guy anyway. He's like walking around. He's got a town car out. And he goes, hey, man, I, you know, kind of, you know, and save you 10 bucks. I'm like, all right, cool. You know, I don't care. You know, I'm a libertarian. But what happened was, is I started downloading these apps, seeing how this worked. Well, a lot of it wasn't available. But the Uber thing, what are they doing? They're competing right now. They are subsidizing the rides just as a doink to the man and the monopolistic structure they have with yellow cabs. They're going, we are going to subsidize them. We're going to pay the driver his, I don't know, 15 bucks that he gets, and it only charge you 12-something. I mean, they're subsidizing a little bit just to get wide adoption to everybody as they're trying to stop it. Because what happened, Uber, it was uh, it was Berlin and Paris and London, and they were all, the cab companies going on strike. They're going, hey, man, these guys are cutting it, and they get buggy whips, okay? Technology on your phone, you're able to order a cab, boom, and it already has, when you sign up for these, they want your credit card, they want, you know, a picture of your face. You take a picture with your phone so that they can recognize you when you go. A little bit too much big brothering for me. Now, these... uh Hackers, what they came up with is it's all by reputation and credibility. And the front page of Wired magazine had last month or month before, trust me, 
I'm going to bed and breakfast. I'm going to surf, couch surf, you know, through Europe on your couch. I'm going to have access to, you know, your, your house, your dog, your whatever. I'm going to, you know, give you a ride. I'm going to, this is what's coming. Generation Next has the ability now to go ahead and just give rides to whoever they want, get paid in cryptocurrency, and there's nothing anybody can even know you're doing it. It's, it's cryptographically. Here we go. So what's going to happen? Is Uber going to try and use the government? To quash these guys out of competition. You see my point? As much as they're going up against the man and we're going to do it this way and Yellow Cab doesn't like it, what happens when they come up with an app on your phone that makes Uber obsolete before they even get started? What say you, Stefan? Well, Uber is a good example of just protectionism in action, right? And um, I think that's what we need to realize that IP is. Um, um uh, look, I've struggled for 20 years against the artificial legal classification of patent, copyright, trademark, and trade secret as a different type of law. They call it intellectual property law. It's really uh, it's really a artificial classification. And so I've tried recently to think what really groups them in common. How can we understand these things? And I came up with the idea of what I call a negative servitude or negative easement um and the idea there is that you have to have a basic understanding of the libertarian uh, purpose the libertarian principle which is that we should live and let live we should all pursue our own projects we should try to get along with each other we should live with each other benefit from each other in a division of labor and a society right and that requires property rights and that will result in a free market Exchange, trade, the specialization and division of labor, um, um, etc. Right. So the the, the thing is that re- requires an understanding of the basic, basic, basic nature of property rights, which I think is implicit in what most libertarians talk about, but they don't always think about it to the fine details because they don't have to. But when IP comes into the fore, we have to. We have to figure this stuff out. The basic libertarian idea is extremely simple. It is this. When there is a scarce resource, something that can be fought over or conflicted over, we have to identify which of two or more claimants has the right to use it. So we have human bodies, and we know which our answer is there. The human person himself is the owner of his body normally, right? And then in other things, we, we have two or three very simple rules. If there's a resource in the world and we have a dispute over who gets to use it, we, we, we decide in favor of the person who had it first, unless he gave it away to the other guy by contract. So we have original appropriation, which some people call homesteading, or appropriation or, or contract, or the third category would be rectification. Like if you commit a harm against someone, you commit a tort or a crime, and you owe them damages, compensation – restitution, then you owe them some of your property. So unless you can find a contract or an act of tort, then the person who had the uh, the item first is the original and the best claimant to the resource. So that's our sort of background for libertarianism. It's very simple, actually. Okay. So when it comes to intellectual property and these other things, we need to, we need to step back and say, listen, you are really trying to ask for a claim on my property. 
So, for example, if someone sues me for copyright infringement or trademark infringement or patent infringement, what are they really asking for? They're really asking for a judge to give them some of the money in my bank account, right? Or for the judge to issue an order backed by state force saying I cannot use my factory or my publishing house or my, my home or my body in a certain way. So they are always seeking a partial control right over my property, things that I legitimately own. This this is the problem with 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 these um, with these IP rights is they basically seek to undermine existing property rights. And so when I tr- are, are we still there, Ernie? Yeah, no, I'm I'm you have my full attention. So so. When I try to come up with a reason why would you classify trademark, trade secret, patent, and copyright together as intellectual property, now the state and its, its supporters did it for a reason, a propagandistic reason. They wanted to call it property to make it sound more legitimate. But I was thinking, what is in common with these things? And my first thought was they are all examples of a negative servitude. Now, a negative servitude or a negative easement, imagine you live in a neighborhood with people where you all have uh, residential homes and you don't want anyone to have too outlandish of a home or too bothersome of a use of their property. Um, so you might enter into a, what's called a restrictive covenant, which is another form of negative easement or negative servitude. So you all agree with each other. We can't use our homes for certain purposes. You can't have a pig farm or a big smokestack or whatever. This is a residential area. That's perfectly legitimate, but the reason it's legitimate is because it's a contractual, voluntarily agreed to uh, arrangement. Okay, but when the government comes in and just says that a certain person has the right to stop you from using your property in a certain way, that's as if you grant granted to them a negative servitude, but you didn't grant it. You didn't consent to it. So it's a taking of property. They take it's basically theft. They, 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 the thieves of your freedom. They just take it. You know, this is, we're, we're going into, I tell you, there's a treat in the next, this is what happened. We had um, uh, Stefan called in when we had a young man uh, on, his name is Reed Jessen, defending cryptocurrency, you know, cryptodefense.org. He wants he wants to, you know, inject a little bit. You know, Stefan graced uh, his show with his presence, and he wants to, you know, like, return a favor a little bit, and we'll have a little conversation, you know, on that a little bit, and we'll include him. I, I'm I'm really glad we got to do this. I'm telling you, the three hours just whip right by, and we're learning something. But it's history. It, it, it's what governments always, it's what they them those have always been doing, is controlling individual behavior for the benefit of those that you know are the controllers. I mean, it's always that way. But technology throughout history has always challenged that, and it's doing it big time again. Free talk live. Crack cocaine. The way it hurts. Okay. Um, Reed wanted to come on, you know, at some time, and we're going to, in the third hour, give him at least a segment or two and get to say his thing. Did you guys get the talk at all? We did not. I, I didn't get his note till this morning, but I think we can wing it. That's fine. No, I mean, did you ever get hold of him doing the the uh, crypto defense thing? Did they ever contact you? Uh, no, I haven't talked to him since uh, you and I, uh, since I, uh, I, I called into your show a few weeks ago uh, on vacation, so I haven't talked to him since then. Yeah, I think he was just trying to call. The um, yeah, this is uh, I can uh, that one 
Yeah, he's trying to call, call in on um, Skype now. Okay, well, go ahead and take care of it because he's freaking. The um, uh, the one thing that I wanted to make sure we got into, I wanted to express to you, my concern was that thing that I talked about the Uber deal. I can see what they're doing. They already did it in in uh, Tel Aviv, and uh, I guess it's throughout Israel that you just on your smartphone you just go, okay, I need a ride and go, and it doesn't even do it doesn't go through a central hub like Uber does. It's just directly connects people using cryptography to not only hide there is no central server there is not it's just you know a net of people that have joined this thing and it's all encrypted and it uses bitcoin so it's there's no there's no head to get and i know it's going to happen uber is going to go well hell no (laughs) and and they're going to become the buggy whip guys before they even get you know ingrained you know yeah you know, so I'm just, I'm going, yeah, they're going to be all kind of freedom-oriented right up until they get, you know, technologically obsolete before they even got started. Right. So, I, you know, I just, all over again. But this is the speed at which things are happening. And I could see also that what they were doing is they were recruiting uh these uh, hackers in the service of the man. You know, they're they're doing that. They go, ooh, and you see the FBI, NSA kind of guy sitting over there. Ooh, we want that guy. We want that guy. We want to co-op that guy. We want to put a wire on that guy. I mean, I can see it, you know, happening in New York. I'm going, wow. And do these young guys understand, you know, what's going on? Right. I, th- I think they do. But, but, you know, it's like Jonathan Mohan with, um, how was it called? Uh, Ethereum, I think it is. Um they're working with uh, European governments, trying to get them to... And what I didn't realize is as I interview a lot of these guys, and we're going to have an uh, uh, anonymous Bitcoin author guy on Thursday, and um, what they are doing is they understand what's happening and that the government wants to try and co-opt. And it's kind of like DEFCON that they had in Vegas you know, over the years, and you've got the agencies coming in and want to explain it to them or offer them a job or whatever. And I'm I'm wondering where this is going. These young, brilliant minds in their twenties, if they're going to keep repeating the same mistakes. But because of the internet and communication, and the forums and everything, a lot of these guys get outed before they even get started. So right. I don't know how this is going to end, but I know what the battle is going to be about. It's intellectual property. You know, it's what classification we're putting on everything. And I'm, I'm interested to talk with uh, Reed again to see, you know, how things have progressed with them since our last conversation. Well, what is it yeah. you want to um, – and we'll have him on, you know, for whatever we need to include, but – you know, because um, you were on, I think, like two segments before. But what is uh, some of the stuff left over you want to make sure we get to? Um, I'm okay with anything. I think we've covered a lot already, so I'm pretty open. Um, I think we should talk about um, – can you hear me now? Yeah. Well, the one thing I, we could cover if we have time is uh, this negative servitude idea. I was going to explain how it covers an entire swath of libertarian uh, – basically the entire, the entire terrain of libertarian problems that we identify as problems. I mean it, it's, uh, it's, it's broader than just IP, and it, it will help explain – you know, like say the drug war is a, is an example of negative servitude. So I used to think it was narrow, but now I think it's a broader concept that covers. It's a way of explaining what the government does that we oppose. 
how to understand it, how to classify it. That's real simple to me. I either own what's inside my skin or I don't. I mean, you know, when they, yes. when they yes. come into this vaccine vaccination thing, that we nipped it here in Arizona. We had this big, you know, um, signs that we put. If you look up um, uh, support first responders that say no to mandatory shots or something like that, and it was a, a skull and crossbones kind of thing, and the crossbones were syringes that were kind of, you know, you know, shooting blood, and they had the skull had a red cross kind of on the forehead kind of thing. And the point that we were making was we took those signs and we put them in front of all the police and the fire stations because we knew they were going to go to first responders and say, you know, well, you have to get the shot. So, of course, if the cop had to get it, he sure as hell not going to defend me not getting it. You know what I mean? So, right, exactly. so we went straight at it and there was a big campaign all along the state. And then the, the news got in it and they come and interview me. And this is what I said. I go, you know, we have a claim of property and what's ours and all that and the proper role of government defense of property rights and all that and some people say it's uh you know the sidewalk or my picket fence or my door or or what i tell you, you know i'm hoping that we can all agree that you know i own and control what's inside my skin and i go i don't want notions and potions of the man forcing a needle into my flesh or that of my children or people i love with force and they're just injecting me with whatever they want i go that is where my line is it's my flesh it is mine and somebody says that i don't own what's inside my flesh that is my enemy so i made a big deal out of that well that rang really well with people they went ooh, and then all of a sudden the a lot of the communities their fire departments refused the shots and sent them back to the county and they and they just said you know we already lost this one why because it was a culture thing they you know the people just didn't support the concept of the man which is what they were claiming with this vaccine vaccination thing is that they had control inside your skin. Right. And I'm going, whoa, hell no. And now I see my mind is the same thing. So intellectual property is like, if you don't want me to, you know, have your idea or expand on your idea or improve your idea, then don't give me your idea to begin with. Because once it's in my head, it's mine. You know? So this whole concept of what's inside me is mine is what they have to change. And that's what I'm fighting against. I totally agree with you. Okay, we're starting in a minute. Let's see. Here, can I just push this? Reed, we got you. Okay, wait, 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 wait. Push the button. Reed, I got you. Yep, I'm here. Okay, what we're going to go ahead and do is we come back. I'm going to introduce your thing real quick and how okay. it relates to, but we wanted to go ahead and uh, uh, the negative. Uh, Servitude. I want to give Stefan an opportunity to finish sure. and explain that, and then we'll get yep. in. We'll pull you in after he gets done with that and say, "Yo, what's up?" Okay. Yeah, great, great conversation this morning. Sounds good. All right, go. Cool. The government to stop all wars and world hunger and make quick and easy weight loss possible. Ninety-three percent want to be emotionally satisfied, plus a soulmate, unconditional love from their parents, and a big happy dog. This is the Onion News Network. And now, live from the studios of Freedom's Phoenix, Ernest Hancock. Believe me when I say we have a difficult time ahead of us. But if we are to be prepared for it, we must first shed our fear of it. I stand here without fear because I remember 
I remember that I am here not because of the path that lies before me, but because of the path that lies behind me. I remember that for 100 years we have fought these machines. And after a century of war, I remember that which matters most. We are still here! I tell you, my thing is, if you don't want me to have uh, access to whatever it is you or me to manipulate and do and fix and improve and make better and whatever, then don't tell me about it. Don't put the idea in my head, oh my goodness, I'm not allowed to improve on it and make it mine and 3D print it. I mean, you know, it's mine. And what's inside my skin, the same concept, they get to go inside my head or exchanges between, you know, consenting adults is the same as they want to, you know, stick a needle in me and put notions and potions in mandatory vaccination of the herd kind of thing. No, it's a a herd immunization, a herd. I mean, they actually say that. I mean, you're cattle, man. Get over it. That's their idea. That's their concept. That's what we're battling. You know, I, I want to give uh, uh, Stefan an opportunity to expand and finish on you know, negative servitude. He wants, he wants to do that. And then we have on Reed Jessen. He wants to get in on this. Uh, uh, Stefan had called in on that show because he found it very interesting. Crypto defense, you know, in defense against, you know, the, the encroachment on innovation in uh, cryptocurrencies and, uh, you know, other things, too, I'm sure. But, you know, this is where the man is like, oh, no, 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 you're not allowed to break free of the central banking kind of whatever. And someone has the concept and the idea, another patent guy, you know, says, hey, we need to have some kind of a defense of this innovation. You know, stuff inside people's head they want to share with people and it should be allowed. They are allowed. Well, until they meet a gun, okay? It's always a gun in the room. So, you know, I'm going, this is going to be, we're going to include uh, Reed in a moment, but I want to make sure Stefan gets to expand on the concept of negative servitude and finish that up for us. Will you, Stefan? I'd be happy to. Uh, before I do that, let me uh, just read a short quote, which is apropos to what you just mentioned. Um, there's a great article on Benjamin Tucker, the 19th century anarchist, by Wendy McElroy on the Mises website. And what Tucker says, and Tucker opposed intellectual property, he says this, um, if a man scatters money in the street, he doesn't formally relinquish title to it. But those who pick it up are considered the rightful owners. Similarly, a man who reproduces his writings by thousands and spreads them everywhere voluntarily abandons his right of privacy, and those who read them don't put themselves uh, by that act under any obligation to the author any more than those who pick up scattered money put themselves under obligations. And then he says something, which I love this quote. He says, want your invention to yourself? Then keep it to yourself. And I think that's a a salient point. The idea is that… If you want to participate in the market economy, if you want to take advantage of exchange and commerce and intercourse between other people, if you want to tell them your ideas one way or the other by showing them your books, selling them your books, revealing your paintings, selling your inventions, then you, you're you taking advantage of the division of labor in society, but you the price of that is that you're making secret information public. And if you make the information public, you cannot complain that people learn from it and observe from it and compete 
compete with you and emulate you. Um, so that's kind of the essence of the, 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 the protectionism aspect of patent law. The negative servitude idea, as I was saying, is I was trying to find the common thread between these disparate areas of law, which we call intellectual property, and I think it's a negative servitude. Basically, the government grants to someone the right to control or to prevent how someone can use their own existing property, even though there's no contract. That's the taking aspect of it. But the more I thought about this, the more I realized the the concept of IP is artificial and that the idea of negative servitude is broad and pretty much describes and covers most, if not all, of what the government does. So let's say the government says um, you may not use your you may not smoke drugs or you, you may not uh, in, in, ingest cocaine or sell cocaine. What they're really saying is we claim a property right on your body. And we're, we're give, we, we have a negative veto right or an extra, a, a negative right to tell you you can't use your body for this purpose. You, can't, you can use your body for whatever you want, but you can't use it to sell cocaine or to ingest cocaine right? or to evade income taxes. I mean basically every single law you can think of this fat, backed by government coercion is an instance of a negative servitude. So the entire swath of state law – is basically a set of takings of private property rights in a creeping sort of indirect way. Under the guise of protecting the public, they're really they're really basically taking negative servitudes and transferring them from one party to the other, either to the state or to themselves or, or to some third party beneficiary, like in the case of IP. Okay, let me let me bring this in. There's the um, this movie and book America. Denise D'Souza is going to be on the show, I think, tomorrow. And, you know, I, I know him, and I understand it's this American exceptionalism thing. They're going to – I get, I haven't even, even looked at it, and I already know what the deal is. They're going to be America's special, and the world would be a poor place without America as if it, the United States government and the people and America are the same thing. And I'm just – I'm going – you know the concept, the dream, the the promise of the promise that they made, the promise of what they do is to protect the individual freedom to do all these things that you're talking about without this negative servitude thing. But it always evolves into that. So when I I'm going to try and be nice to him, I don't want to. You know, he's a guest. It's you know, Papa Movie. We only got him for a couple of segments. I'm gonna, you know, I'm kind of, you know, but I already know what I want to ask him. I'm going, yeah. So what's your view on uh, patent law? What's your view on the drug war? What's your view on all these other things about, you know, the control of the individual? What about that? Well, it's just a Republican conservative kind of, you know, the liberals don't get it kind of thing and freedom. And I go, oh, yeah, freedom to what? Snort cocaine? You see my point? I already know it's going to be a political thing. It's a us versus them. It's a Republican Democrat kind of. I'm just like, ooh, you're still voting? So I'm so this cultural discussion that we're having with you, Stefan Kinsella, you know, is that that's where the meat is. Because all this other stuff is a side effect. Laws are a side effect of culture. Laws are a side effect of people just understanding what is right and what is wrong. And as we get into the libertarian concept of I own me and mine, and certainly I can claim what's inside my skin. Well, now we're talking about what's inside our skull. 
And I'm going, this, you know, 3D printing and cryptography and all this stuff, I can see that you are going to rise up. And I'm going to say, you know, Stefan, will you please remember, you know, us back in the day and come on our show five years from now when you're like on every freaking channel all the time? There's going to come a time for you. I see it coming. Do you see it coming or is it already starting to happen? I think it's happening gradually. I do think it's happening. It could it could it could expand. Look, I'm pretty much an optimist because I think that freedom and technology and the free market and prosperity are going to outrace the state. It's going to not be a pleasant process. It's going to be herky jerky back and forth. But I do think that freedom will win. Uh, I'm not sure about that, but I'm hopeful. In the end, uh, freedom always wins. It just gets really messy first. Absolutely, because the government is in a – look, the government – the state is only good at two things that I can identify. The state is good at destruction because destruction is easier than construction, and the state is good at propaganda. And I'm not sure why they're good at propaganda. I think they play into uh, false ideas that people tend to have, you know, atavistic, uh, tribalistic ideas. So they're good at, they're good at parlaying uh, false ideas into support for the state, and then they're good at destruction. That's all they're really good at. They're not good at protecting property. They're not good at law and order. They're not good at efficiency. They're not good at anything. They're bad at a lot of things. But they're good at fear. Be a feared. Be a feared. Let me tell you what I remember. I remember that which matters most. We're still here. And guys like Stephen Kinsella. It's not going away. This is not going to. We know this. So I don't have to get all worked up about it because I already know what I have. I see it. It's Generation Next. It's just going, I'll break with thee. I'll break with thee. I'll break with thee, Mr. Goodman, man. This is Charles Goyette, author of the New York Times bestseller, The Dollar Meltdown, so you can learn how to protect yourself and your family. Now, you can audit the Fed. You can end the Fed. But why not start by ignoring the Fed? Visit DontTreadOnMeme.com. That's Don't Tread on M-E-M-E, fashioning the silver economy. A meme, a contagious idea that spreads within a culture, a spontaneous order. Nowhere is this more evident than in one's free choice in that most marketable of commodities, money. Let us Austrians use wallet voting. Don't Tread on Meme, the leading craftsman of silver dime trading cards, as well as some offbeat Liberty-themed apparel. Follow the history of the dime card outreach at onceuponadime.info and get a silver calculator app at whatisthiscoinworth.info. Boycott an empire of theft. Build a society of consent. Don't Tread on Meme. Okay, Reed. Hi. Yep. Okay, we're going to go ahead and bring you in on this, and I give you. Okay. I want you to, you know, kind of, you know, you've been listening to the show today. Yes, I have this morning. Yep. Okay, so you kind of, you know, I'm, I'm. Hopefully, you made a couple of notes, and you have a comment or five. So, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. But we'll go ahead and when we come back, I'll introduce you, and then uh, go ahead and uh, see where you're at in all this, and then we'll go ahead and uh, um, pull your microphone a little bit away. I'm getting a lot of breath sound. Okay, is this better? Yeah. Okay, we got you. We're going to be able to keep you. Yep, I'm back. Okay. Is that, what what's going on? Is it a bad connection or what? I have a big house, so when I walk around, sometimes the Wi-Fi spots uh, change. But I'm back now. Okay. And I'm stable. All right, cool. All right, when we come back, I'm going to go ahead and introduce uh, Reed real quick and uh, get his comments on this stuff, and then we'll have a conversation. And are you, Reed, are you familiar with the? Uh, uh, Ario case that got decided. 
Yeah, yeah, I've been following it closely. Okay, well, we'll get your comment on you know where this. See, my thing is, I I never really worry myself about this. I got a much longer term view, and I see I've been an activist long enough. Twenty five years, you start to see the trend. Once you can get a a bumper sticker mentality in, once you can get a a uh, uh, a truthism in there, you know, truthiness of whatever it is, as Colbert would do, you know, you go in and you once you get that injected. You know, then it's over. I mean, the rest is just a mop-up operation. Your legislation follows that. You're getting, you know, I'm like, you're still voting? I mean, the, 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 the congressional races coming in 24, I can't even muster up enough, give a crap. after. I, I can't. And you look at the, uh, and this is one thing, Steph, I tell you, you look at the numbers, and the number one show on Fox, you know, I mean, on, on the news cable is what? You know, hand, I mean, not hand, um, O'Reilly. And it, it's what you know, maybe three, four hundred thousand at best. You got a few million at three hundred and something million people, and they're all worked up about. And that's all of the cable news combined is like a few million, maybe. And I'm going, who gives a crap what these guys say? You know, I got more people watching skateboarding dogs. Okay, so I'm just, you know, this is, I can see the changes here. It's with what, and just over the last four years that you and I have been acquainted, Stefan, I can see that the foundation of your argument is what they're having to deal with, and they can't. They're going to have to do, I don't know, distraction or force or shooting, and it's going to get ugly, because they can't not. And then they go into China, and you, okay, I want to bring that up. Okay, here we go. Help get LRN.FM into more ears. Visit promote.lrn.fm for a free bumper sticker, flyers, banners, graphics, and more. Promote.lrn.fm. To be a part of the show, call 602-264-2800. 602-264-2800. And now, Ernst Hancock. Propaganda, propaganda. To fool the folks, it comes in handy. If you want to tell some lies, pull the wool over their eyes. You can do it with propaganda. Propaganda, propaganda. You, you can, can liberate the babies from, babies from their candy. candy. You know it's this so is easy. it's just it's you know that's all this is propaganda, man. Blah 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 blah. To cut through the blah blah, we got Stefan Kinsella on the hippus. Go to hippus out. Now, what we also have is I, I want to uh, uh, add to the conversation. We get uh, uh, Reed Jessup. We're gonna get to him in just a second. And this is the point that I want to make. I was talking to a friend of mine. He just married a uh, like a year ago a woman from China, and we got to spend a lot of time with him last week. Awesome, awesome. She speaks almost perfect English. I mean, you know that was her major. Is you know she speaks like three or four languages. Uh, beautiful intelligent young woman and i'm going you know tell me about a lot and one thing that tom was telling me her husband he goes when you go i think it um was it uh shangzhen or something it's a, a town uh on the mainland just north of hong kong and they talk and he goes you know they talk about this intellectual property thing and you go and there's a freaking warehouse five stories of all the freaking new release dvd of the movie of whatever you want is right there oh yeah blah 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 but you know what you know, there's no Chinese soldier up there telling them they can't because they just don't care. You know, so and of course, you what do you have? The U.S. putting pressure on you got them. We have them. And China's getting the point. You know, bite me. We just don't care. You know, that, we don't even understand what you're talking. Intellectual pro- what? You know, so I'm 
I, I, do we have to go to Moscow or Beijing to be free? I mean, seriously. I, what's going to happen is finally uh, the, the Castros are going to uh, something, and it's going to be, man, you got a beach house uh, in Cuba. You know, this is America is losing it. And it's all because of this, this crony capitalistic crap. Intellectual property is the next big giant battlefield. I can see it because it goes at the individual to be able to do whatever they want, when they want, without a permission slip, and they cannot have that. That will be bad for the empire. So in this soup, what do we have? We start having cryptography coming up to free every, all things IP. We got MadeSafe.net, you know, is out there doing distributed internet and the encryption of we are the internet and everybody's, you know, uh, computer is the node of peer-to-peer file share of everything. That is, and the more and more people get on, the faster and faster it gets. I see this coming. The man is not going to be, you know, take that none too kindly, but... On the defense of that, out there is who? Is what? You know, it looks like uh, CryptoDefense.org with Reed Jessen might have something to say about it. And I read, you've been following, you're a patent guy. You've been following this Arrow case. Uh, the Supreme Court just came out that Stefan was talking about. You were listening uh, to the show. Uh, give us your comment on that. What do you think, sir? Yeah, I think I think Stefan was right on that I, um, in his prediction, that didn't come true, and I'm I'm shocked. I don't understand why. Um, I thought that the argument position was was very good. You know, they the government position is because they, they can. <laughs> right? Yeah, I, I thought their argument that you know the state grants the airwaves to you know the the television companies so that they can uh, be used for the benefit of the capital P people. Um, you know that the ex- the next extension of that is well. Um, you know, I, it doesn't matter where my antenna is. I'm still getting benefit from it. That seemed like a, a logical statist argument, and I'm not quite sure um, how it was interpreted otherwise. It's uh, a little confusing. For me. You know, this is one thing. Stefan, comment on this point. I remember um, uh, Butler Schaefer has been a good friend for a long time, and he's a regular staple at the Freedom Summit. And, and he always says, you know, everything's constitutional. He's going, you know, they, they put it in the Constitution that, well, it really isn't in the Constitution. They kind of, you know, Marbury, I think they just kind of took, well, we can decide. And all of a sudden you gave the government the ability to decide what is constitutional. Yep, it's constitutional, we just said. And I'm going, you know, this is when you give the power of the king to determine whether the king is right or not. Well, they'll just do whatever because they can. And it's just they'll, they'll sit there and massage this and you may get, you know, five, four or whatever, but it's re-rule you. And then, oh, we made a mistake 20, 30 years later. And they'll go. I just I'm so done with this. I just I just I, I hope that with the Internet, we're able to get to these young minds and defend Archimedes, the future Archimedes generation next of that they can look at simple truths as articulated by Stefan Kinsella, and they just abandon this whole concept. Are you getting to the point to where you, you look at the, the, the construct of their argument that this side should win and they didn't? Does that eat into their legitimacy even more? Are you going to play on that and say, who gives a crap what the Supreme Court says anymore? Look at this. It's like the Kelo decision. I remember the big impact that had on, you know, eminent domain. And so people went, you know what? They just suck. So, I mean, is this another they just suck case? Uh, yeah, I, I think that I think that they've they've made a mistake. Um, and and I don't I think it's probably, pers- um, you know, purposeful and i think it's part of a larger plan 
um, to establish kind of corporatism. But, um, you know, at the current state of affairs, you know, the, the monopoly on violence does belong to them. And, uh, and I think that we have to, you know, engage with it less it engage us and, and control us in every single way. Um, we have to, you know, we have to be pushing back. Um, and by push, you know, just rejecting saying that, you know, they don't matter. They're totally illegitimate. I, I feel that in my heart, but I think practically and pragmatically, we need to be push actively pushing back against it. All right. What do you think, um, Stefan? I mean, what's the, what's the right tactic here? Stefan, I got you. I think we lost Stefan. Am I pushing the right button here? Button, 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 button. Yeah, I think we lost Stefan. You know, we'll, we'll go ahead and try and get him back. Oh, hold on a second. Now I'm going to have Donna try and get hold of him. He usually call back when it breaks. The um, Yeah, this is... I, I want to get his uh, uh, input on this one point. Is yeah, that... I, you tactics know, are important. Well, that, yeah, it's tactics. discussion. Well, see, the, this is the role that I play, okay? I'm like unrestricted, you know, freaking don't careism kind of you're still voting. I mean, so this is the the uh point that we have is that we're looking at a a cultural shift. All the other stuff happens on its own. And that's why I'm so supportive of Larkin Rose's effort, you know, the most dangerous superstition is this kind of idea that government is going to be the answer to anything. You know, I'm going, I want to challenge that. I'm not going and even doing battle with them. I just go around them. You know, you start, you know, hitting the resistance. I don't want to fight them. I just go over here. And it's international. And they have to, this is one reason why I think that uh, there's a big push for a one world government because they need to have some kind of a central authority that can get you anywhere. You're not allowed to have your server on what, yeah, well, what happens when my servers are in orbit? Then what? You know, I mean, they're going to, yeah, I got an ion can. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, I think that, uh, that, you know, as you said, cryptography and, and the internet is allowing us to kind of go around them, but they still have, um, a lot of power. For example, if, you know, if you're in a, uh, I live in Spokane, Washington. If Spokane, Washington said it is illegal to sell something in exchange for Bitcoin, it would very significantly retard the adoption of Bitcoin within my community, regardless of anything else. They would just say you can't even you can't even say that you accept Bitcoin. That, that speech is, is is illegal, you know, because it advocates terrorism or whatever whatever reason they want, right? Um, I see that this kind of power coming. would push us back. Yeah. yeah, it's a huge battle coming. Yeah. Hey, hey sorry about that. We got you. Yep, I had an iPhone uh, iPhone glitch. Sorry about that. Okay. Um, okay. What we're talking about now, and I wanted to get your comment on, is tactic. And the point that we're uh, discussing is uh, after this, um, you know, was it uh, Arrow? Is that how you say it? Arrow decision? Mm-hmm. After the Arrow decision, uh, do we do battle? You know, or is it more effective to be, you know, this cultural thing of never mind, I don't give a crap what you say because it keeps changing all the time anyway. And Kilo decision was a perfect example when that happened i saw all kinds of stuff nationwide they're like hell no even arizona's constitution laws and everything we just they went you know hell no on it and institute for justice was doing a lot of stuff here we're working with and and uh so i can see the cultural aspect of this is this like well we got to hunker down and really make the case of you know bite me screw them it just ate at their legitimacy do we exploit that or do we kind of, oh, there's a lot of work to do. we got to get the right congressman. And you see my point? 
No, uh, I, absolutely. I see your point. Um, it seems to me that the but we're we're in break right now. So when we come back, I'm going to bring that to you, and I want to get your comment on that very thing. And that was that. It's a tactical thing. Now I know uh, Reed has. Reed, go ahead and express to Stefan what you were uh, yeah. saying. So, so I think my I think my position is that yes, it yes, it absolutely eats into the legitimacy of the court and of the state, but they. They currently today still have the monopoly on violence, and and if we're going to take away that monopoly on violence, um, I think that you know engaging the system rather than being ruled by it is uh, is the correct tactic moving forward. Okay, define that engaging it. What I you know I mean I can understand using, using their own their own tools and weapons against them, right? So like it's very important to to have firearms in the Second Amendment. The founding fathers thought that was important um, because if only the state has guns, then then they the state absolutely controls us. So um, we I would advocate that it's a moral obligation to defend yourself with firearms. There's also these tools or weapons out there uh, within the law, and they're at they're at our feet, and the state is just hoping we don't pick them up and use them. Okay, but I think okay. that we need to. No, yeah. I understand. You know, from you know, cryptodefense.org perspective of, but I this is my thing. It's like taking, I got my gun, I got my gun, where's the battlefield? Let me go and do battle with and spend resources on battling. And I'm like, you know, I, I'm fine, I got my gun, but I'm like, I don't want to battle them. I just want to ignore them. I want to get around them. I want to go over them. I want to go under them. I want to, and that's what crypto provides me. But what you're doing is they're going to take this crypto uh, ability and try and limit it or say you can't have it or you're not allowed yeah. to, like you say, even say you take Bitcoin kind of that's thing. That's right. Well, yeah. I'm like, you know, if I say on a distributed, encrypted, uh, you know, Internet of global, planetary, galactic, bite me, I'm not engaging them. You see, I, if I got to fight them, I'm in the wrong freaking place. I don't want right. to fight them. I don't want to expend you wanna, energy fighting them. Yeah, but you want to provide, you know, that the freedom that you have and bring your, you know, your fellow human beings along with you. And in order, well, at least I do. And and in, and in order to, if I gotta to bring that, them, man, that's too much. They can just come. Yeah, yeah <laughs> that's a good point. Yeah, I mean, you know, they, but, they're coming or they ain't. All right, well, here we go. Yeah, come on, we're okay, coming. Right. We'll discuss it and we'll get uh, Stefan's view. Here we go. Okay. This okay. is the Liberty Radio Network. I still got you, Stefan. Testing the latest liberty-oriented yep. audio okay. content twenty-four hours a day at LRN.FM. Freedom's the answer. What's the question? You're listening to Ernest Hancock. 